Do we have volume on that or no? Oh, there it is. That's what I thought. <coughs> Got to show off some of the animation. It can't just be about the people talking. I'm excited. This is the second roundtable we're doing. This is actually a good one. Not saying that I'm dismissing the plumbers that we did already, because that was actually a really good one, but we'll dismiss the plumbers for now because we want to talk about deck building and outdoor work. And it's Canada, it's springtime, everything's starting. So you guys are starting to base your tans now. This is what's going on, right? Yeah, everything on fire now. Strategic yeah. tan making, right? Is what it is. It's never Gotta watch out for that farmer's tan. Yeah, the tan lines, the tan lines. So, gentlemen, welcome to the show. It's good to have, I guess, Doug, you're back, and Scott, you're yep. back, but Adam, yep. you're a newbie. You're first. You didn't tell me you've been here before. Didn't he's I been, see? yeah, he's been twice. He's been here. Yeah, this is number three. Yeah, this is the nice. third time. This is Scott's second time, right? So yeah. obviously we're going to talk a lot about uh, deck building and the outdoor work and all kinds of things like that. I want to do a quick shout out to Techno Metal Post and Roger. He was nice enough to bring up some maple syrup. Some real maple syrup, right? So it's actually very, very good. But I just told him I can never finish bottle because it's just too fattening, man. So <laughs> a lot of calories. Enjoy, enjoy. So who do we have here? We got to the left of me. I've got Adam from Royal Innovation Ltd. You're the owner. How many years you been doing it? About twelve. Twelve years. And uh, website is www.royalinnovation.ca. Email to reach him is info at royalinnovation.ca. And the Instagram handle is. I don't remember by heart. <laughs> I think it's Royal underscore Innovation, isn't it? I uh, think it's deck builder or deck. I can't remember exactly, but if you do, if you type in Royal, you'll start to find it <laughs> at that point. Yeah. Uh, then across from me, I got Scott from Sauve. Sauve, the way it's that's a lot right. of people. You yeah, that's it. how it is, right? So you're a carpenter, but you, this season you're getting a lot of deck building going on. Oh yeah, you got a lot of clients reaching out for that. Yeah, right now it's I'm in the works of a lot of them. Don't <laughs> have too many of them booked, booked, but. And thank you so much for taking the trek. I know you wanted to take kind of a technical day off but you're coming from kingston oh that's perfect so it's a little bit of a drive but yeah, uh, you got a chance to go to saga as well too yeah so sure good. did spend a lot of money no all i do is buy blades it's all you need to do man yeah. stop buying tools uh so survey construction owner two three to four years website is surveycreates.com his email is scott at surveycreates.com survey is spelled s-a-u-v-e and then on facebook it's survey creates of fb right and then on instagram is survey creates and then to the right of me in front of me is doug taylor back from frontiers how's everybody good the family all everybody really good Good. Yep. Everyone's busy. It's great. Yep. So Frontiers Design Build, owner, 15 years, www.frontiersdesignbuild.com. Reach them at info at frontiersbuild.com. Sorry, frontiersdesignbuild.com. And on Instagram, it's frontiers underscore design build. Where do you gentlemen want to begin? Dex? Well, yeah. okay, well, I mean, we'll get into a bunch of stuff, but I guess that the one theme that I want to kind of create for this show is that, uh, and this is something that I learned on and probably Doug, you felt the same way as well. And I don't know if Adam, you felt that way is that selling clients on the overall scope of a job instead of having clients stuck on a single line item of a job. How do you guys navigate those waters? Because they'll see a line item and they'll go, why is this one particular expensive? I get your overall price. I like your overall price. But was this one line item so expensive? And then you have to kind of justify that. How do you guys communicate that with clients? Can I jump in there? Sure. Yeah. Just jump right um, in. There. Yeah. I mean, I, th I think it really starts uh, from the beginning um, and in steering the conversation to, you know, elements of, you know, lifestyle and function and aesthetic um, and just explaining to people that, you know, 
you're experienced and you know what you're doing and this is this is the way we build decks right don't you uh, feel that you always have to kind of pull out the resume every time that you find a new client to justify your price point uh yes yeah, sometimes okay yeah i'm i think these days with you know with websites and social media a lot of people are doing their research beforehand so often like, I mean, we don't, we don't carry around paper portfolio resumes anymore. I mean, I used to have an iPad with photos on it way back in the day. We don't really have to do that anymore. Um, a lot of it's super accessible to most, most buyers, I would say. Would it be easier if we actually just attach price tags to everything that we do? Or would that just be kind of shooting ourselves? I think the- it's too complicated. Too many variants on the way. You can't price it. There's no set price in construction. So it's like too difficult. But yep. that's what clients, they want to walk into a retail store and go, okay, nine ninety nine. I'll buy that. Right. Yeah, I'll tell you a story. Work. I've been in Muskoka this weekend. Okay. A customer Deck called building me. country. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful cottage on the lake. 6,000 square feet of Ipe deck. 6,000. Ouch. Yeah. Getting there, the customer called me. Uh, he hired a local company, no names. They installed the entire deck. With the clips, they didn't drill and put it in the IPA. They just put it in the joist. 6,000 square feet of deck. Pop, 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 Everything. An inch and a quarter gap. Everywhere. And uh, now everything, uh, we're going to tear it down and reinstall it. Yeah, man. You can repurpose all the wood. 90, 85%, 90%, because we're going to do some nice dividers. They do everything with butt joints and... So I wa- I'm curious about the person who did it the first time. They just didn't know or they just didn't care? They never dealt with IPE. They didn't work with a single lever to work it out. They claimed the IPE is wrong and twisted. It's, it's a shame that somebody taking, you know, start with a 10 by 10 deck. Learn how to work with IPE. Seal the edges, joist tape, you know, all the, the basics. Yeah. And it's like... To take a job like that when you have no idea what you're doing, that's, that's a shame. It's and too then people understand the price difference. You just spoke about the prices. And so we price low. They wanted to take it. Didn't know any better. Yeah, and but now you come in double. and you have to charge more to replace. You need to remove everything. Yeah. Number everything. Put it in the right order. Start to figure out how you're going to build it right. So you can use the most of the material without any cutoffs and, and stuff. So it's, it's all the railing, famous glass railing, all around, need to be removed. It's all finished now, or you guys are still working? Yeah, on yeah. It? No, no, we didn't start it yet. I just been there to see the job. Oh, just to take a look at it. Yeah. Wow. What about you, Scott? How do you navigate that line item versus the overall budget of something that when you're submitting? If they're going to debate a line item on one of my jobs, um, it's... It's usually an, an item that's pretty important. Um, I'll just I'll tell them as much as I can about that item and, and why it is what it is. Um, I haven't had too much problem. I have a problem with my fasteners. It's really the only thing that I have a problem with when, with my uh, with my decks because I only use certain fasteners and they are like premium expensive. And I just explain to the clients, you know, they're they're premium fasteners. But this, these are the fasteners that I use for my brand, and I just that's what I use. So if, if you're not comfortable with me using these fasteners, like that's just not 
Sovay construction, like I use a certain fastener. Um, and that's just, if I'm building your deck, then I'm going to use uh, what I supply. Um, I haven't had too many, too much kickback with any line, line item, it, uh, except for my fasteners, which I just explained why I use them. Yeah. Um, and joist tape. I'm having a real hard time um, getting Selling. clients to say, okay, for the waterproofing. Um, and I've, you know, I've had advice where uh, contractors, it's just like, I'm doing the waterproofing and that's it. But um, it might be the difference between me getting the job and me not getting the job with the joist tape and waterproofing. So I usually put it in there as a line item, um, like optional. And almost every single time it gets declined. And it makes me upset because especially with the beams, uh, they separate and it collects a lot of Water. stuff in there, yeah. pine needles and dirt Everything. and stuff like that. So personally, from my experience, the only problem I have with any line items would be the, the fasteners and um, the joist tape. So well, I find it's a bit of an art in how you break down your line items because, Scott, when you're saying you, you break that out as, as optional, I think that's the wrong move for you because yeah. clearly, clearly you want I want to, to use that. it, yeah. You want quality, you want durability, longevity. Um, that's not an option for you. So why are you giving it to your client? Yeah. Right? Because so then it's going to drive up the price per square foot. And well, when they compare, they a don't bit. compare apple to apple. But a lot of these line items, they might get chopped down. I mean, like, I, I think if somebody's going to buy a $30,000 deck, they're going to buy a $35,000 deck. It, it depends on where you steer the conversation. It's a very good point. It's true. If you're already at that price point yep. and they've already looked at you and they already know what caliber of work you offer, yep. I think that selling them on an extra five or whatever, 2000 could be even yeah. 7000 that, that deck is being sold on price at that point as yes. opposed to... You know, what is the finished product? Um, what do they want? What are you as a builder, right? Again, they're, they're going to, if they're going to pay $50,000 for a deck, they'll pay $55,000. i am curious from all you guys, when was the first deck that you built? And when I say deck, I guess the principles of deck building. So not necessarily for a client, could have been for a family member or something like that. But when did you guys actually build a joist system, hangers, and then put some sort of material on top of it? and created a deck surface. How far back are we going here? I would say about uh, 20 years ago. Okay. But it was back home. Okay. We used the... Uh, Where's back home? Israel. Okay. Over there, we don't do foundation. We don't dig in the ground. Just float on top? Yeah. Yeah. And we use two by four as a framing. As the joists or as yeah. a decking? As joist. a joist, yeah. on its end or flat? <laughs> Standing. Really, two yeah. by four. Yeah. Fur? No, it's not Douglas fur. No, over there is a pine. Yeah, it's pine. Yeah. So twenty years ago, Doug, what's your, what's yours? Uh, yeah, I mean, we we did a couple small ones the first couple of years in business, so fourteen, fifteen years ago. And Scott? Yeah, I'm about ten for my dad. Okay. And have, have you guys changed dramatically? I know that you mentioned talking about I've got, and I'm the same way too. Oh, yeah. I, I'm particular about tape, fasteners, material, like we'll get into it. But I mean, have you guys educated yourselves through experience? So much, right? So much. Yeah. And I mean, the deck, the deck building industry is a perfect industry for that constant year over year evolution because there's so many new products, um, you know, it's, it's pretty big on social media where you can watch other guys where they've learned some, you know, little tip or trick and you catch that and implement it in your next one. But it's, it's an innovative industry for sure. So if you're, not, if you're not evolving and you're, you know, still doing what the industry was doing 20 years ago, then you're kind of, you got your blinders on. 
But I mean, decks in theory, I mean, when clients buy a deck, what's the realistic outcome on timeline wise? Like, I mean, we know that cer certain decking surface materials don't, depending on how harsh it is and what part of Canada or whatever, the extremes of the weather, it lasts so many years, but you have to maintain it, right? And we'll get into maintenance as well. But technically speaking, that substructure, that framing should last as long as a house, right? Yeah, but as you know, the material of today and 20 years ago is a different story, man. It is. Completely. I took apart last week a 35 years old deck. And framing, the joys, everything was nice. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Amazing. And on the other hand, you, you can take apart a five years old deck and it's like all garbage. So yep. they used to use the core of the lumber. Today, they're using the sap, everything. They don't care just to make money, right? They're so using the sawdust of the lumber. Two by four <laughs> used to be two by four. Yeah. In old time. It's all changed now. Yeah. So I guess it's like washing machines. They're just designed to fail. Is that that point? That's what we're looking at here? Well, I mean... We see, I mean, I think there's a lot of factors at play. There's, uh, you know, these days we're protecting our, our structure with tapes. Yeah. That hasn't been around forever. Um, if I had to think about the decks that we've pulled apart that were really bad, often they're low to the ground and have, and have skirting. So I think breathability is a huge thing for decks. Having that airflow yeah. through the structure when yeah. people really totally close them in, box them in, they're not thinking about that and how to um, kind of ward off moisture issues and drying issues. I think that can spell problems. Um, I've had clients yeah, like that before. They, they've asked me to build right on grade. Yeah. And, and you have the conversation. Yeah. I'm Whether like, I'm sorry, but this is not going to last. Like yeah. wood right next to grade, wicking is just yeah. going to happen. You're going to eat away at that lumber. Yeah. Whether it's north facing or south doesn't facing off the house. Point. doesn't matter, yeah. You know, whether it's getting dried off by the sun or whether it's always in the shade. There's, I mean, there's so many... So many factors, it's case-by-case case basis. So what are some of the misconceptions about deck building when it comes to clients and you're talking to them? What they think a deck is and what you guys know as a professional a deck is? I would say that my clients are, they're, they have been overwhelmingly um, really excited with the finished uh, result of all my decks that I've built. Because it's so simple, the picture like the pitch. I do picture frames on every deck, yep. and for some reason, it still blows clients away. I think they they're not expecting their their deck to be as nice as as I ended up making it, um, and I don't know I don't know why that is, um, I, but that um, I don't know. Yeah, I've I've had a really good response to the decks that I built. It, it's probably just because of the little things I do, the little chamfers, and I make sure that I, I sand, like every cut that I make, it gets sanded, yeah. so I can I can I can close off those pores. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it for me. I've had a pretty pretty good uh, experience with. I guess you get a lot of clients that are just wanting to move everything outside, and they just automatically assume there's a roof overhead, and it's protecting the deck. But that's not the case, right? But they're always asking for more and more things to go outside. And mm -hmm. just an extension of the house, right? So yeah. that's where I'm trying to get with the misconception about what clients think is deck world and what you guys know is deck world. Definitely a misconception with um, posts and beams and how far you can span, that's for sure. Like if a client just wants an extra four feet, like that really changes your spans, which is going to increase beams and yeah. posts and piers. Yeah. And because I just do concrete, like that's huge labor. Yeah. So I guess that's a better answer. Uh, adding beams is definitely something that usually the client 
never never understands like how far you can span span things out. And Doug, you were going to say, yeah, I run into a lot of misconceptions on the cladding choices, the material choices, um, because what I find is uh, like a lot of clients still have the conception of like when f- composites and PVCs first came out, there was a lot of issues with yeah. them uh, back in the day. So the people still have that, like say, you know, say some <coughs> client had a deck built 20, 30 years ago and they went with a composite and it was a nightmare. So when, when we go and we, and we say, Hey, you know, what, a, what about a PVC option? Because maybe they're older and want durability or they're, you know, an executive and they're super, super busy and they don't want to take care of like a, yeah. a natural wood of some sort. Um, they're like warning bells that go off in their head. They're like, Oh, I don't you know, that plastic stuff, like it looks cheap and you know, it's going to fall apart. And so there's, there's a lot of misconceptions there. Just to collect a lot of mold. Yeah. Yeah. What percentage are you it's doing? Fade. I mean, are you, okay. So are you, I, I'm assuming most clients are asking for, um, man-made material for, for decking, right? These days. You need to educate them about it, but yeah. Yeah, but there's a wide range, like anything that's in the market right now. There's good, better, and terrible, yep. whatever, right? Yep. Uh, but I mean, clients are still asking for wood. Are we getting that, or is that the main? I'm getting a lot of uh, requests for quote both. Okay. And then you need to give them like a pressure treated and uh, composite material. They want to see the price difference at that point? Yeah. I find when they're like really budget driven, it's they're asking for the PT or the cedar. Okay. Um, you get you get some clients that are environmentally aware or educated. They're asking for some like the thermally modified stuff. Yeah. Just but jacks I, up the price. It does. Um, yeah. But there's there's a space for it, for sure. Um, yeah. The the largest part of the market right now is the PVCs composites for sure. Every deck that I look at, they always ask for composite first, and then. Either they'll say, can you uh, price it in pressure treated as well? Or I'll just say, I'm going to send you both prices. So I, it's usually always composite. They usually come to me for composite. And then I send them the composite price and then the pressure treated price. Is that a standard for all you guys? It's like they're, they're giving you, they're, they're requesting options here at, point, at this point, right? I want to see what the composite, I want to see what the PT, I want to see what the high-end thermally modified lumber is i want to see what epay is i want to like that that's and kind I of want aluminum rolling and glass yeah. rolling and 20 by 12 and 20 by 14 so many mm-hmm. options right like how do you how do you guys justify that because that's a lot of time being spent for you guys to price it out and it's a commodity so things change outside of the, i guess the composite really didn't fluctuate that much did it over the years the last few years Not i know time. i know wood went through the roof yep wood it's was back down quite a bit. composite and uh pvc as well it went up as well too as yeah it? Last year, one of the brands three times raised the price during the season. I think that's just taking advantage of profits. That's what that was, but we won't get into that world. Be sure it's not going to go down. It won't go down because yeah. it's gone up. Once you climb the mountain, it's, you got to stay up there and just watch the view, right? That's all it is. Yeah. Watch the dollar signs in the clouds. But, And I, I just I want to figure out how you guys navigate because the thing is, it's not like you guys are plumbers or electricians or I'm not dismissing them, but they've got a grocery list. So you want a sink, you want a faucet, you want mm-hmm. like, you guys want a deck? There's a thousand things attached to it. Thousand options. So, so we, we might be a bit different because we're design build. Okay. And that, you know, we're, we're charging our clients for pre-construction services. So we're going through uh, and we're doing conceptual designs, the permit plans. And we're, we're, I think during that journey, we're educating them about the options and they're, they're really kind of narrowing down to like an ideal material choice for whatever reason. 
So we end up pricing one thing and then it's only at which point where there's massive sticker shock and they're like, okay, we're going to need to investigate Cedar or, or what have you to bring the price point down that we're investigating that as, as opposed to like just laying all the prices out on the table. Cause as you said, it's, it's a lot of work to price four or five different types of materials. It's, it's kind of, okay. I always try to level the playing field when it comes to construction. Right. So when, when I say that, I mean, if you had the same client that was deck shopping and deck inquiring about a builder coming in and they're hardwood flooring shopping, they're walking into a showroom and they're getting samples down on the floor and they're taking their shoes off and they're walking on it barefoot and they're experiencing as best as they possibly can. The same with broadloom, same with tile, same with everything. They're, they're trying to feel touch experience. But when it comes to decking, it's like a quick decision to just go the cheaper option, even though you're going to probably be walking on this barefoot more than you will be walking in your own home barefoot. So why are you taking those senses out of the equation when it comes to deck building? You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I, I keep a select a set of samples in my truck for that purpose to let people see it and touch it so and they feel, can it. feel it, right? Yeah. And you can experience it and then justify, okay, well, maybe we should pay that extra money, right? Mm-hmm. Any yeah. thoughts on that, guys? No, I'm doing the same. We always <laughs> have the... We all have because that's how you sell your business, right? Yeah. yeah. But people, when they sell composite, you know, there is so many brands, so many levels in each brand. It's like endless. So you need to educate them more. Some of the brands, the lower grade of the composite are, you know, they, they're not coming with plugs, matching plugs. So you have to put a surface trim screw, which is visible. Some of them very scratchable and slippery so it's important that you're going to bring your own knowledge to the customer but that's a balancing act too because now you have a client that's talking to you and you have to factor in your experience because you guys have been doing this for a while so all of a sudden it almost seems like they dismissed that experience part of it You've gone down that road. You've done this work. You've experienced it. We've mm-hmm. all built things that clients were requesting, whether it was driven by the cost or yep. just by trends or by this is what they wanted. And you knew in the back of your head, this is going to fail. This has got an expir- expiration date on it. It's going to fail. I don't want you calling me back and being upset at me, even though I educated you and I told Especially you. Especially when it's exposed to the elements. Yeah. We keep on yeah. talking about four seasons. This is Canada. Most of the you know northern side of uh, the U.S. goes through the extreme that we go through as well, too, right? Yep. So we get we get extreme heats, and they'll affect composite. Uh, they won't affect wood as much, but the winter, and then also how you shovel it, and that, and that brings up the maintenance. Definitely right? affects the railings, that's for sure. Yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of factor in. That's where that whole selling thing is back and forth with the clients, but it's just I, I find it hard to understand a client wanting to reduce the price not on good intel you know what i mean yep so it's just like how do you guys navigate how do you guys sell that so that you can get the good intel back in there and get them to understand I, I find reducing the noise helps for them like we basically sell one we use one product line uh we use one pvc uh supplier and then we'll go natural wood so like reducing the options i think helps them be decisive um I think well, there's there's multiple benefits there. It's it's you're helping you're helping the client make decisions by basically giving them a pre-vetted package that yeah. can then be kind of customized based yeah. on their needs. And I think there's um, a level of conf- confidence uh, in that, that 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 they're trusting you that you know this is a pre-vetted package. We've used these materials for some years. We've never had issues with them. Um, so there's there's the sellability of that, but then also the performance of that too. 
our guys get to know those products really, really well. So the durability and longevity and quality of the deck continues to be top notch because we're not using a new deck board every single deck and having to figure it out the nuances of that specific product. But you're also right. getting product knowledge from that actual manufacturer that's yep. supporting you. If there's ever an issue whatsoever, yep. then you guys get that pushed to the front yep. of the line so you can take care of and make your client happy, right? Mm-hmm. That's you guys running a business, yeah. right? I'm, I'm curious, just for my own sake, if you guys were building your own personal deck, are you guys going composite? you guys going man, uh, natural product? I went PVC. Yeah? Yeah. Scott? I'm just doing wood because that's just what I love. <laughs> but I know what's going to happen to it. But you'll maintain it. Yeah, sure. You'll fight that battle. Yeah. And Doug? I did PVC on my current house. Okay. Uh, I would consider thermally modified for my next house. But I, I do love the PVC. Really, huh? Yeah. Darker tone did you go? Uh, no, I went with a, with a light gray. Okay. Yeah. And just you like it primarily for the durability? Same with you, Adam? Is that? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And then fastener-wise, I'm curious, hidden or face? No, always hidden. 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 Yeah. Okay, no plugs. On the picture frame on the first and last board, yeah, but yeah. it's tips. Okay. And yeah. then joist-wise, everyone's always asking for PT these days, right? Yep. Yeah. And like you said I, earlier, I mean, it, it just the, the tape. Yeah, mine's getting taped. <laughs> but just, yeah, you're taping it, but just like price-wise, if you're selling to a client, you're just including it in the price. That's all it is, right? Yeah, we don't even tell our clients that we're going to tape it. We just do it. I should probably stop. <laughs> yeah. It's a good point. It makes a lot of sense, right? I'm curious about trends. Where, where are the clients getting their ideas that are presenting to you guys? Which, in reality, I think should be the other way around. But About material selection or? About what they want to build. What's, what's cool? What's talking? What's everybody? I, I get, you know, like glass railing, aluminum railings have been a big thing for now. Nobody, I don't even think anybody's doing pickets anymore. Yeah. Uh, they do with aluminum, like aluminum pickets. Aluminum, yeah, but yeah, nobody's but doing a two by two PT no, or no, two no. by two cedar anymore. I think no. that's gone with the A track, right? Like it's done. So it's just like, what are, what are clients asking for these days? Techno Metal Post, an alternative to traditional foundations. For over thirty years, Techno Metal Post's vision and goal has been to revolutionize the construction industry, and today they are proud to say they have achieved this. Their dreams drove them to design, innovate, and build reliable products, develop leading-edge installation equipment, as well as train and certify professional installers just like you. Techno Metal Post products are used throughout the world. They do the research; the evidence is there, and testimonials have shown that. Our helical piles have become a standard in the building industry. Many customers and contractors have already adopted our technology, and for them, it would be impractical to do it any differently. Reach out to them at www.technometalpost.com for your next project. Uh, not much. They're coming with a name. You know, there is uh, some marketing uh, company that spends a lot of money on marketing, some of the composite, so they know one brand out there in Home Depot and... That's the brand they know. So they they asking to, to use that brand. I always try to teach them like the benefits and the downsides of that material. Um, and pulling them to the direction that I think is right for them and the colors selection. They want to go black deck. So <laughs> that that's going to be hot. That's going to be hot, man. So I'm... You know, we're playing around with lighter inside, darker picture frame, black uh, railing you can go with, so you can play with the colors. Do you start talking pergola if it's a black deck, so you can at least dimple the sun? Yeah, but then it's doubling the price, and you know, so 
we need to fill first of all what's what's the budget that we're talking about and, and where we're going with it um, a lot of people want multi-tier deck and it's very nice very nice looking but not practical as much so I try to, to convince them to go maybe two tiers or one one big deck with one tier so you can play around with the furnitures with the cooking area dining area sitting area lounging and that's it I'd say like a minimal approach from like a design approach like a minimalist uh, I think people are starting to stray away from the like the crazy backyards where there's um, you know all kinds of tiers and fire pits and all this kind of stuff going on and a little more of that contemporary look is it just too much I think for a lot of people okay um, but then you know again back to the people that are a little bit more mindful of sustainability these days that we are getting asked about um, like natural woods and thermally modified stuff more and more frequently. Why do you think that is? They just like the look and feel of it versus PVC? No, I think it's, I think it's the people being more green conscious okay. in, in general in their lives. It's, it's the Tesla cars, it's the net zero homes, it's the um, whatever, whatever you want to lump into that bucket. Um, People are looking at, you know, when they're doing projects, whether it's whatever, a deck, a patio, a pool, they're asking some more of those questions. And it's not a huge amount of them. I would say that it's like gone from like never been asked to maybe like 10, 10% of people 10%. are asking. But then you guys are probably following that up with a maintenance schedule. Like a, you're going to make suggestions on how often it should be oiled, how often it yep. should be cleaned, how often, uh, or first of all, how it can be cleared for yep. snow, all kinds of things like that, right? But also brings up the point that everybody's bringing out outdoor kitchens and no different than a kitchen itself. And, and you got wear and tear going on at the cooking station, right? So you might have splatter from oils and foods and things mm -hmm. like that. And so you got to factor all that in. And then there's also high heels if everybody's outside and they're dressed up. And yep. there's a bunch of things that I, just, what I mean, it's just, it's endless. It's, it's almost like you got to give them a phone book of <laughs> deck building, deck yep. maintaining, deck world lifestyle, right? Mm -hmm. And for them to understand it, but they're going to be intimidated by that, right? Yeah, I think it's still complicated for them to observe everything. They can't grasp it, huh? I want to ask you, gentlemen, what's the ideal size? Because we talked about different tiers decks, and I, and I totally agree with you. You get clients that'll put 15 different tiers, and all of a sudden you've got like a kiddie's table here, and you've got a barbecue there, and you've got a planner here, and it's like you're not maximizing the space properly yeah. for use of the space. You would never do this inside your house. You would never put a small room here and a closet here and all this other stuff. A, a good size table for, let's say, a family of six. How big should that deck be around that table? How much space should you give yourself? 20 by 16. Something like that. I agree with you. It's a good size at that point. Yeah. It's comfortable enough to pull the chairs out. It's comfortable for someone to walk behind the chairs, get to another station of the table, and then walk around right but then you're already selling a client 20 by 16 deck to begin with that's just your eating area not including your sitting area not including your cooking area i i always tell <coughs> i always tell my clients like a, a functional space is, is 15 by 15 like you can use that for multiple things um not at the same time like you could have a lounge set there or a dining table set there or whatever that's kind uh, of funny this studio is is 14 by 15 Right, there you go. Right? And yep. this, this and is a seven like a foot by seven space. foot table. Right. Yeah, so it's com it's comfortable for the yep. purpose of it. Yeah, It's one beam. So, <laughs> so, a, 16, yeah, exactly. so a 16 by 20 is 
you know, a pretty common deck size and it's great deck size because then you've got that extra width for like, you know, the, the thoroughfare out from the back doors out onto the lawn yeah. or a spot to put the barbecue or whatever off to the side. Scott, I'm just a one beamer. I just did a 15 <laughs> beam deck. So 15 beam. Yeah. Uh, it was either 15 or 14. It's 15 piers and 14 or 15 beams. Wow. It's going around the pool. It's the one going around the pool. Five ply two by 12s all by myself. Wow. It took me a long time. That's insane. Yeah, that's good. What, what are some of the crazy decks you guys, and I'll just give you guys like way back in my youth, I had a friend of mine, he knew that I could swing a hammer, but this is before I got into the business and he put a, a kidney shaped pool in his backyard. Didn't want any grass. And he's like, listen, Manny, can you build me a deck around the pool? So I said, sure, great. I got an idea. I'll do a fan deck around the whole kidney. <laughs> I was there the whole summer. Just like it was insane. It was piece by piece, wedge cut every deck board. I have no idea what it looks like. He got a divorce, and <laughs> so she probably got the house and got the pool and everything. But they, like, it took a while. So, is there some craziness that you guys have built for clients? A lot of big ones, but uh, when you say a big deck, what do you mean by that? If you're telling me an average deck is 16 by 20, what's a big deck for you? About an 800 square feet. Okay. Big enough. That's good. That's yeah. a good size. That's 6,000, yeah. holy. Yeah. 6,000 is a unique, yeah, but uh, 800, 600, those are big decks. What do you... Yeah, we've done a couple decent-sized ones. Um, nothing crazy. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess we, we haven't done a lot of backyards where, like, the deck is the entire backyard. Like, often for us, it's it's more of a feature. So we're often doing like, you know, a pool, a patio and a deck. Um, so yeah, like a lot of the, a lot of the 15 by 30 type, type sizes. Um, you guys are navigating the whole backyard experience, yeah. right? So you're factoring a deck, yep. possibly a pool, yep. um, an Built eating in hot area, tubs, hot tubs, that type sheds, thing. cabanas, yep. things do like that. a lot that. of like pergolas and roof structures, pergolas, yeah. phantom screens coming down, that type of stuff, outdoor kitchens. So the deck ends up being like a, a part of the backyard as opposed to the backyard. Are we getting now into more artificial heated surfaces or not surfaces areas? So then we can, we don't have to deal with propane tank heaters so we can actually stay longer outside. Our clients starting to ask for direct gas units and things like that. A little bit. Yeah. yeah. We do a decent amount of gas fireplaces and, and wood burning fireplaces as well. Scott, you're not from my clients, but my, my best friends, they have um, natural gas. Uh, they have a covered deck. Uh, it's shiplap ceiling, and then they have like a a heater in front of their couch. Yeah, that's it. wow. Adam, yeah, a lot of uh, infrared. We don't do any wood burning fire pit. You're not, not allowed. Yeah. It's not well. Unless I guess the building the code, like you got to be a certain distance away from your actual home structure. Some neighborhood, you're not allowed at all. Really? Huh? Unless you're cooking something. So you could just hop When I'm fence. doing a fire, I always have a hot dog with me. Because, uh, <laughs> Isn't that a funny rule? How if, it's, if you're cooking something, yeah. you're allowed to have an open flame. But if you're just relaxing there and enjoying Mother Nature's TV set, nope. you're not allowed to do that. It's ridiculous. Well, I mean, and that brings me up another point that I want to discuss is the whole permit process. I, I find that the building, I guess, where you are, they're, they're a little tough on us, no? Oh, yeah. When it comes to deck building, because it is a structural component, I guess, but there's a lot of rules that I disagree with, man, like when it comes to deck building. Anything in, you guys want to share? Nothing uh, specific. It's just, you know, all the, especially the zoning 
Yeah, which is like in the same city, you have uh, different six areas with different zoning, with different setbacks, and you're not allowed to build if it's above 1.2 meter, you're not allowed to go over six feet from the house, and they're mixing the meter with the inches always in the cities, <laughs> always. Make a decision. It took me a couple of years to transform from meters to inches when I came here. And now you're going back. Yeah, and they forgot it already. <laughs> <laughs> what do you guys come across with inspectors? And the, I guess yeah, it's, the it's the semantics that kill me. It's like the you know we could we could build a stone patio in this spot because patios aren't permitted, but we can't build a deck. You know what I mean? Because there's setbacks and it's a structure, whatever. Um, <clears throat> or you know sometimes we'll have uh, we'll have a situation where it's. Um, you know, you want to put in like a helical pile because there's, uh, you know, some sort of change or issue. And, um, you know, you can get engineering and conformity reports with those guys. Yeah. And, it, and then they'll ask you, oh, you know, there, there's been a change to the permit application. You need to reapply, pay a revision fee, give us new drawings, new, really? yeah. and go through the whole process again, just because you put, you substituted a helical pile for a concrete pier or something. Most of the time they approve it, but yeah, sometimes yeah. they've been... Really is that just that. them not being aware of other options out there that we can no, use? No, because it, it depends on the people, I, f I find. Because like, a lot of the times, if, if you give them the engineering or the revised, revised drawings, it's no questions asked. But it's, again, when they go down uh, and they push it further and say, okay, well, there's revision fees and we need you to resubmit and, and just make it a mountain out of a molehill. That t tends to happen sometimes. And um, meanwhile, you guys are at Mother Nature's mercy. And you guys are scheduling crews to come in yep. to take advantage of whatever sunny days we do have. And then you have to deal with this yep. paperwork. Yep. Because somebody in the office has to deal with that. You got to pay the fee. Of course. There could be delays on the, jo on the job. So it's just, it's just unnecessary. I waited four months to build that big deck around the pool for wow. my design, just for the designer. Four months. And so uh, the whole season gone. Yeah, I told them August 1st start, and I started uh, right after Thanksgiving. But I was really lucky. I think the building inspector makes a huge difference, too. Oh, yeah. Um, I had a building inspector that used to be um, used to have his own um, home building company. Yeah. And he used to be a framer. And um, he didn't even bring a tape measure out. He came three, and three times to my deck, and he didn't, measure, he didn't even have a tape measure, not once. Like, and I had, I had 14 or 15 beams. So I was really lucky, but I, I just, the building inspector um, makes a huge difference. Do you guys see that as well? Same thing? Yeah. There is the newbies coming, and yeah, that's the, okay. The ones that want to prove something. They're learning also on, on the way they learn. Everybody about in it, construction right? learns yeah. every single day. We're all on the same team. But sometimes you need to make that work as well, you know? I'll take a newbie over an old crusty guy any day. Really? Oh, yeah. I find with the newbies, you're always saying, okay, don't worry. Can I speak to your supervisor? That statement, that statement comes up, and then that just kind of puts the newbie up against the wall. Like, how dare you? Yep. <laughs> the new ones are the 5-ply 2-by-12. That's what they are. Really? Yeah. That's insane. And then uh, the, she specced out 5-ply five, 2-by-12 five sitting on a 6-by-6 six six post and three beams sitting on that post. And I need three and a half inch bearing for every ply of the beam. Let's talk some fun stuff. How much more challenging does it get when you guys are doing second story decks? And you're having to deal with a whole new set of rules there, right? 
or from, is it, from is, the permitting standpoint or the construction uh, standpoint? Both, because I guess permitting that it's 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 now a different set of rules, and and now you've got I guess structural to deal with, yep. and then you've got a staircase that has to come down, and then you also have I guess the railings or fencing or privacy. I or find all. it's not that big of a deal. Not that big of a deal. No. No. Like I always do forty-two inch high railings. Okay, regardless, and. Um, Cross bracing on the on the yeah, post, up so. to eight nine feet. I think is the same same story. When you're getting to the twelve feet, ten feet, eleven feet, that's uh, a little bit more challenging. Do we really need railings on a two foot high deck from grade? I know the OBC says we need them. Yeah, but but do we really need them? Babies, kids. I didn't put on mine. How many times did you fall? Don't tell the city where I live. How many times did you fall as a kid? Here it is. Here it is. I fell lots of times as a kid. It just makes you tougher. Last Saturday, (laughs) we were barbecuing, and I have a couch right on the edge of the deck. Okay. And uh, I have a three years old, and he just, you know, leaned on the couch, and I... Is he okay? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So, um, again, depends what you... And I still, I don't put railing, right? It's not really necessary, so... The couch is a railing. It's a cushion. Yeah. Nice and soft. That's how you learn. <laughs> That's the world we live in, though, right? Like, I mean, you got to have rules. Because, um, like, when I, when I think of this conversation, I think of, like, pools and the hassle we get with pools and pool enclosures. And especially, like, out, like on a rural property where there's really no neighbors. And I think, like, what's the difference between this pool on a rural property and, like, the stormwater ponds that are being built in developments? Like, It's a valid argument. E- stormwater pond is way more dangerous. Yes. To the public. Yes. Right. So, you know, the thing with railings on decks, it's like, you know, do you really need one on that 24 inch deck? Not often. In some cases, certainly you do. Um, I, I try and design them out as much as I can with, you know, wraparound steps. and Yeah. So you can get it kind of round that yep. at that point, right? Yep. Design it in so that there's going to be furniture backing onto that railing or, or whatever. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of semantics for sure. I want to know what's killing me the most is the climbable privacy walls and stuff you know i installed a few aluminum privacy walls with quarter inch gap in between but these were prefabricated privacy walls that you installed so they've met the standards to be sold as a product yeah but then they're not meeting the standards for the deck building process for the inspector so he claimed a kid can put his fingers and somehow climb six feet and then fall. I've had yeah. that exact same situation as well. And it's yeah. like... So how did you guys resolve that? Fighting with them and explaining them. Sometimes it's work, sometimes not. But when it's a wire railing with four-inch gap in between, 42-inch high, I understand. We can talk about it. But a six-foot with a quarter-inch gap, three-eighths, I don't know what was it. Unbelievable. I thought wire railing were illegal in Ontario. A vertical, not horizontal. Horizontal is not illegal? Climbable. Everything but a, but a vertical, you can still fit a baby's head in between and get strangled. Not if it's 90 mil. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying, right? I looked at a job last spring, and the guy said, uh, my railing going down to my... Wa- my um, he lived on the water. And he said, I just had a brand new railing installed. Um, you know, it's exterior. Can you come take a look? You know, I heard I got, you know, referred to you and i know you do a lot of decks i'm like yeah all right i'll be right there and i went down there and it was the hog wire like the east see in the united states mm-hmm. and i was like you thought this was gonna pass wow and he's like yeah inspector doesn't like it but i was so shocked to actually see it in canada because i see it on pinterest all the time 
and it sucked because like it was installed really good too. So then I had to grab my my clippers and I had to all of it went out. Wow. Yeah. We did uh, we did one where it was um, actually we do quite a few of these where they're horizontal rough cut two by twelves okay. for fences. Okay. And very similar situation where the, ins- the the inspector came by and he's like, I can fit my pinky in the gap so a kid can climb this. And I was like, okay, like, so what have you got find a tiny pinky? I don't understand. Yeah. Like how it's it's ridiculous. Like no kid could climb this. And I mean, if they can climb that, they like, I mean, they could dig a hole under it, right? <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, we ended up screwing plywood to the back of this fence to eliminate to the eliminate the gaps. Oh my god! Just to pass, and then take it off. And yeah. That's like the stringers for the stairs. They went closed stringer. <laughs> right. I've had the first time it happened was like 2016. My deck failed because uh, I didn't have a closed stringer on the stairs. So there's that little triangle because the railing. Yeah. Okay. So there's that little, and that was where the baby head was going to go. So I was like, all right, I guess I'll have to, you know, do a closed stringer. My buddy's like, just screw on triangles. And I'm like, I don't really want to do that. So, um, yeah, you screw on the triangles, it passes, and then you take them off. And um, my railing failed because I had I had two by six uh, top rail going up my stairs, yep. and it failed because it's too wide. Yeah, it's too wide. I to grab. I, know. I guess so. I've I was had that conversation still before. A bit shocked by that one. I know. An elderly person can't grab it. Can't open up their hand to grab it. Yeah, I'm gonna buy one of those baby dummies, and I'll just carry it around for <laughs> my final walk through the deck, and just make sure it doesn't go in anywhere. <laughs> Make sure it has a four-inch head. Well, it's, it's <laughs> kind of funny that you guys jump all these hoops to please the OBC and you're building something brand new, but the moment that it gets passed and a homeowner could modify the hell out of it and make it completely dangerous in their eyes, and it's not really on you guys anymore. It's now, now what at that point? It's not really fair for us, right? There should be a little bit of forgiveness at that point. If the client's asking for something like this, it's their property, their home, they're eventually going to get there, right? That's why the building inspector like really matters. That's coming by yeah, to look at like, point. do you have common sense? Yeah, but I don't think it's not looking good. Yeah. Well, sorry, no. I, it, it's about liability, obviously. At the end yeah. of the day, for the you know for the city and their permit process, they need to check their boxes and and do their job, and then they're kind of gone, right? Uh, you know what? Though, in all fairness, I would like to actually know when the inspector shows up if he or she actually has built a deck before. If Most likely, no. I know that's what I'm trying to get at. So I think, in all fairness, you should be some knowledge about deck building if you're going to be inspected. Yeah, but I deck. think it's all all over the construction industry. Every engineer that's sitting in the office and engineer a house never been in field and it's built the same it. thing. It's the same mm-hmm. argument. I know. Twenty inch deep LVLs for all the headers overkill and it starts going in and that's what it is about deck building is that it almost becomes a crash course on engineering right like you really gotta if you're a framer and you're getting started in the business you really have to understand structural really well right and then also choose material that will last a certain way or protect it a certain way right Mm -hmm. warranty wise what do you guys offer your clients what's a good warranty to to submit to them going i mean we know your product's going to get beaten up by mother nature but what do you guys offering two to three years i'm we're giving okay the material have 25 50 years uh, for pvc or whatever yeah. yeah railing 10 years if it's powder coated but i'm always there to answer the phone because i have customers from seven years ago that calling me and one board pop out i'm like i can't uh, warranty it for you it's a natural material but 
Mm. I'll come and take care of it. Yeah. But that's just customer service, right? Yeah, but again, so warranty is something to put in the contract, right? Just so we have the understanding. It's like when I'm ordering material for a job site and we're coming for the job site, I always order 10, 15% more of the composite, of the framing. And then at the end of the job, the customer is like, that's my material, right? I'm like, no, sir. (laughs) (laughs) If I was short by 10%, you're going to buy the material for me? Exactly. It's the same argument. Mm -hmm. You guys are doing the same thing? Roughly? Oh, hell no. No? What do you no. want? So I'm primarily wood, so I explain to them what happens with wood, but I always say, give me a call. If there's one that's really cracked, I'll just come replace it, like especially with the railing. I've had zero callbacks. I'm, only, I'm going into four years now. Um, have had no calls, but I make sure that I explain to the clients what the sun does, and especially with the posts. I'm like, they're going to check. Like, um, but there's I, nothing you can I do. always tell them if there's a really bad one, just give me a call. I'll come replace it. I probably shouldn't be doing that because I know it's going to dry out and it's going to split or cup or whatnot. Um, but at, at the end of the day, I mean, if it's bothering them enough to call you, then I mean, you want to especially make, if it's safety, happy, right? Because that's what's going to spur on your. Especially if it, like the deck boards can be a problem, yeah. and the top rail. But again, so far, like I am just pressure treated. Um, like I've done some glass, and I often do the steel balusters. But um, yeah, I just and and people are pretty. You know, they understand that the wood is going to dry and split a little bit. Am I too old to think that I actually think a weather deck looks nice? Yeah, it's it, nice. Am I too old to think that? If, if, if it's in the country, it definitely, it blends in. If, it's, ble- if it's built properly and assembled properly. A and grayish color. Yes. Yeah, and, nice. and, and, but the thing is, the boards have been kept straight because they were installed properly or they were checked and everything. It's like, it, I think that weather deck actually looks nice. But why do clients have this perception of, it's falling apart they think it's falling apart it's not falling. yeah and then they stain it and then it looks worse well then because now it's a band-aid at that point and if you do want to oil it or stain it you there's a process attached to that right so it brings up to my next point about maintenance like you guys have to educate your clients on how to maintain this deck Mm -hmm. whether it's pvc whether it's wood whether it's whatever like how do you guys what do you guys offer for that or is it just a crash course and go online sign in and (laughs) tick all these boxes most of our clients Go with the PVC because we tend uh, to find that um, price is one of their big priorities and maintenance, maintenance-free is yeah. one of the priorities. Yep. Um, so people love that like a, a PVC deck is low maintenance and we basically tell them like, you know, Dawn dish soap, uh, like soap and water. That's all you need. And they simple. love that. It's simple. Right? I know. That kind of justifies a little bit more of a premium price tag for a lot of people. For what though? It's a different ball game. For wood? Yeah, yeah. I say keep the leaves and pine needles off of it. it like, I highly right. recommend blowing it often. You don't like blow. the little leaf tattoos on the deck? And Especially if they're not getting that <laughs> weather tape on the beams. <laughs> Moisture, Mother Nature. He pays a tough one, though. Yeah. He pays a tough one, right? How much more he pays that are left in the world? You never know, but it's keep coming here. <laughs> the containers uh, keep coming here, man. <laughs> it's a great material. I love it. It's it's hard to work with. That's an understatement. But, uh, <laughs> hard yeah. to work with. But the final piece, man. I'm I, curious I on I what color it. tool you're tackling, Adam. Like, I mean, are you cutting that with a yellow tool or are you cutting it with a proper tool? Uh, <laughs> you never know. But the blade's going like... Uh, That's what it is. The blade goes. Yeah, and the bits and everything is... Going very quickly there, but it's a nice material. 
But the price also last year, I don't know if you you know like I don't pricing. Know how, I don't know how much it went up. I can only imagine with container shipping all the way from uh, South it's America. It went to about twelve dollar a linear, hey. for five quarter by. Wow. Now it's came down to about 10, but I remember it at uh, five something when I, uh, when I started. I had a friend reach out to me, Ian from Gale uh, Force Contracting and uh, Masonry, and he asked me to build uh, a couple of planners out of ePay to replace the ones that fell apart over time, right? Because they weren't built properly. And then I just handed it off to Gary from Mayor's Carpentry, and, and we priced it out, and it was like $3,000 each planter. <laughs> it was not a big planter, Matt. And it got signed off, and I was just like, I just racked my head. I just didn't understand. It was it was yeah. five quarter board. It was four by four ePay. It was ridiculously expensive, and it looked beautiful. Gary did an amazing job, and hopefully, it was for two olive trees <laughs> that were going to get put in and taken out every season. And they just wanted it to be done properly. Well, I mean, you, you compare that to even just like plastic or fiberglass or steel containers these days, and those things are insanely They're expensive too, right? As well too, right? So. Techno metal post screw piles are installed by our trained certified professionals using specially designed hydraulic machines. The piles are augered in until they reach a specified torque and depth, allowing our installers to determine the load bearing capacity for the structure. Helical pile foundations are made from hollow structural steel HHS that is compliant with ASTM A500 grade C. They are designed, tested, fabricated, and installed in compliance with Canadian, European, and U.S. building codes. When compared to bolted coupling and similar products, TMP's fully welded couplings ranked above the others and provided maximum strength, rigidity, and enhanced buckling resistance. Different shaft and helical blade sizes are available to accommodate the needs of structure support and site soil conditions. Our engineering department provides assistance to determine the appropriate sizes for specified project types. Reach out to them at www.technometalpost.com for your next project. Um, how do you guys handle challenges and obstacles in this industry, man? Because you guys are always dealing with slowdowns we talked about building process mother nature is a big one for you guys starting stops terrain yeah i think simplifying your process and your package yeah i think solves a lot of problems from top to bottom from selling it to performing it to your clients maintaining it like if you can if you can find a, a select number of products that you know you like you can count on you know how to install well and refine your craft over and over again. Um, that that's a big one. There's still always going to be challenges, though. Always, hundred percent. I love the roll with it. Is construction. I love. Yeah. I love challenges. Yeah. Like my stomach is getting so used, and my brain to the stress. I actually enjoy, like. I kind of. You mean about a rock when you're digging for the footing? That's <laughs> that kind of. Yeah, it's fine. I just uh, rebar some epoxy in there, and I don't have to dig as much. Yeah. It works. Stamp it. It's done. Yeah. Are you calling Roger? Uh, <laughs> what about you, Adam? What do you? How do you handle it? We're just working around it, and uh, again, we're installing a lot of uh, Hilco. I didn't do uh, concrete footing for a few years. I just love it. That was a game changer for me. First time trying it, and I tried it a few times. It was uh, expensive at the beginning when you compare it to to concrete, but. Uh, it saves you so much time, so much dirt that you need to clear somewhere, and it's faster. You can keep building the framing at the same day. Yep. 
Nothing else like it. How never big, never how going back to concrete. How big is your crew, Adam? I have uh, four, almost five of them. Okay. So we typically <laughs> two, two people in a crew. And then, Doug, what, what's your deck building crew? Uh, well, we've got six carpenters, and any of them can build a deck. So usually, usually a couple of them are building a deck. And Scott? One I got man, one. one. That's man why I'm shop. so good at, yeah. at doing challenges. <laughs> You're not ready. You're not ready to start adding a second. And a I'm third. not. I'm not booked uh, enough in advance yet. But you think it's coming? You think it's yeah. Once I get once I'm booked, I want to be booked for I don't know maybe eight eight months ahead. I'm not right now. I'm just waiting to get booked a little bit more so I can have some steady work. If you guys got clients that are reaching out to you, do you love them when they reach out to you in May and go listen? We want a deck built this year for June first. <laughs> When should clients, because we, we get clients listening to the show, right? So I just, I want to educate them. I love them all. Yeah. <laughs> we all love them all. It's, it's the, it's the, uh, it's, <laughs> they should be contacting you last year, right? The snow yeah. has to be on ideally. the ground. Right. At least ideally just last year, yeah. have a conversation with you, start considering vetting, start talking to people yeah. and yeah. then start looking at a schedule for this year. It really changes based on the project. Yeah. As well too, right? Because if you're asking for a 10 by 10 deck off your back sliding doors that's way different than uh you know a huge deck with a fireplace and a roof and where you're needing you know full design structural engineer um, a permit process that might have revisions and back and forth with the city uh other trade contractors you're going to have to line up you know the masons the all this kind of stuff right there's a lot of project planning on that type of job so that takes much longer you know, what it, whatever it is, six, six to 12 months for a, a big job. It's a process. Even earlier on, you guys were talking about dealing with the building process and yep. just taking like that long to get it. Let it, let that happen over the winter months. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wish, but it doesn't always be the case because once it starts, you're hearing birds chirp and you're starting to see flowers bloom. It's let's, amazing. Let's like how the sun deck. come down, the yeah. phone is like, totally it just starts exploding. Just right? like that. If I'm looking at projects, uh, like right now in May, I will say, are you looking to get it in 2023 or 2024? And they la they, they, sm they think it's a joke. They think it's a joke. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But yeah, definitely should be snow on the ground. That's where you put another crew in. It's eventually coming. How do you guys handle, uh, I guess, water management? I mean, obviously, you want some rain off. You don't want a perfectly leveled deck. Um, but you want to be aware of Mother Nature rain off and also grade rain off and all kinds of things like that. And also maintenance because most people will put the dish soap on there and just take a hose and you yep. want it to run off, right? How are you guys handling that detail? I believe in a perfectly level deck. We're grading the soil underneath. Okay. Away from the house, but our deck, I always build it uh, level. Yeah. And just leave the space. and then just I frame to zero and then you have space gaps for it to drain, yeah. Yeah, yeah we're the same. We build level. It's for your we stairs too, like I, that's especially like for attaching stairs. I want to make sure that my, my frame is perfectly level, so no fall or anything. Yeah. But if you're dealing with a second floor deck and, and you're actually going to make it waterproof for the underneath, so then you can have a, an area. So we, we've learned not to yeah. call it waterproof. It's yeah. not water resistant. Water resistant. Water resistant. We did, we've done some. But it depends. Water if it's the rain escape, so yeah, I yeah. always I've water resistance. Fail. Sometimes we're just building a flat roof, slope yeah, down, uh, exactly. and then a level deck. So it depends which one uh, right. you're going for. But yeah, the rain escape is water resistance, 100%. Yeah, but right, okay, that's just the, the water catch system, right? That's right. Yeah, so why not just create a flat roof and just membrane it? You do that? It depends if you have enough height, right? So mm -hmm. flat it's roof. It's true. 
with the slope and everything gonna take you about it, it 16 takes, inches yeah it takes up your space oh. right yeah. and then you've got your cladding on top of that you're decking yep. right yeah. i've so seen the rain escape fail because the snow load was left not shoveled and there was ship up underneath and a sitting area underneath and because of this, the high snow banks all winter when the spring came, yeah, like so much water had collected in the rain escape that it it, it must have bled through to the the shiplap, and it was painted. It was uh, pine ship uh, one by eight shiplap underneath, and it like yeah it went into the wood and then it sat in the joints, and uh, it was all destroyed at that time. Yeah, but I talked to the contractor that built it, and he's like, it's a waterproof membrane, and then we're putting like three thousand screws into it, you know, for the decking. Yep. So it wasn't 100%. <laughs> no, you like always try. You always put like a butyl tape and double layer of taping. And I know, and but it's, nowadays, it's never nowadays you got pedestals and nowadays you can do tracks. It wasn't joist tape, though. I remember. Oh, okay. Yeah, so maybe that was it. But it's amazing what they offer today, how you can still make that waterproof, right? And uh, I guess beyond water resistant, but you can still work it. There's materials now. They're selling steel. Steel, yeah, aluminum rails mm-hmm. or something like that, and you're building everything off of that. But it's just common sense that uh, am I just wrong to don't screw into a membrane? <laughs> yeah, but again, like I, I think if you manage your client's expectations, and you tell them it's going to be water resistant. Like you're going to be able to use True. the space underneath. Yeah, because we do. So we do the Doctor Dex method with the EPDM liner. Yeah, kind of build our own. Yeah, um, and it's it's great, but it's not perfect. So we did, on a couple of our first ones, we did like tongue and groove sealing on the underside. Yeah. You do it and in one we, sheet? One uh, sheet of EPDM? Yep. Yeah. Yep. And then with the tongue and groove, because it's not 100% up top, there was a few watermarks, right? Okay. So our, our clients called us back on that. Um, so we started just doing aluminum softening underneath because yeah. the little bit of water that does get through uh, is not going to wreck the aluminum softening. And it's perfed, so it's, it's yep. going to dry out. It'll just dry out, right? come right on, you won't see it. That's right. So that's our standard package. Again, is it, um, you know whatever deck board, the EPDM liner, um, waterproofing, resistant, not waterproofed, and then aluminum softening underneath. And we can we can usually sell that. Just for my own sake, what's the highest that you can make a privacy fence on a second floor balcony deck? Typically six feet. You can you can build a six foot so that it won't be. Um, that's the code. In some places, on a I second floor. Yeah. Really? So you treat it as if it's a fence around the perimeter from grade six feet? Yeah, that's the height. But if you're on a second story, are the rules change or anything like that? Are you talking min min or max? I'm talking max. I don't know if there is a max. No, there is a max. Well, you're really for the neighbor complaint. That's what I mean, right? That's eight feet. Some area can be eight feet even. Really? Yeah, yeah. And they can't complain. They depends can. on the area. They can't. You can go to a variance. All right. and, uh, I, I do this show so I can have my wheels spinning. And I it's 2.4 meters. Is it 2.4 meters? No, that's two? 8 feet. <laughs> yeah, it's 8 <laughs> feet, man. That's, that's crazy. It can't be that high. You'd be blocking out your view of your neighbor, right? What view? Of you sitting on your deck and uh, eating lunch? Like, If it's a lake, a ravine, and stuff like that, I understand. But How critical does the city get when it comes to... I guess pergolas and things like that, you start tra- creating. Like Again, totally depends on the inspector. Again, we've, really? We've, yeah. we've asked uh, cities whether uh, we've even, even like sent them in a sketch, like, hey, does this pergola require a permit? Yeah. And sometimes we've gotten away with, oh, no, that, you know, that's not a load-bearing structure. There's no roof on it. You don't even need a permit. Okay. But, but those... And so then... 
timbers, it's it could collapse. Typically, it's, it's 108 square feet and not attached to the house. That's the right. Time rule, but, but um, ideally, you w if you were going to do a pergola, you would want to have a pick point to the house, right? So then that's become structural, right? Usually, when they let us away with it, it's it's like a timber pergola over a stone patio. Got it. So, so it's, it's not part. Yeah. It's freestanding. It's not part of the touch of the house. It's not part of a permitted deck. Um, those are the the few times I can I can recall not needing one. But then you know you ask somebody else, and they're like, "Oh, of course, this needs a permit." Yeah. Sorry, guys. I'm just going through my questions here, man. <laughs> uh, okay, so you guys want to walk us through your process on how you guys deal with clients when you guys first start talking to them? And you met them for the very first time. They got your referral. They did a Google search. They went on IG or whatever. They saw some of your work. You guys get the phone call. You get the DM. You get the email. You get whatever. Brand new client. You guys go over. How does it all begin for you guys? We're setting up an appointment, okay. going for a free estimate. Uh, try to listen to the customer. He guide us typically to the backyard and show us what he wants, what he's looking for. And uh, we're suggesting the size and, of course, depends on the backyard that he's having there. But we're suggesting what to use, what height, how to divide it. We're always asking what he's planning to put on the deck, like what areas... In it, they want to sit down. Is it just a small deck to get access to something else, or uh, that's going to be the main main uh, backyard area that they're going to sit? And that's it. We're offering him uh, all the materials available, taking the measurements, explaining him before we sending the quote how the quote going to look like, what is picture frame, what is fascia, what is heel copile, what is skirting, and all of that. Because then you're getting a million emails after you're getting the quote. What is that? And what is that? So. Might as well explain it. Yeah. And uh, that's it. Sending the quote within 24 hours and give him a few days to think about it. 24 hours? That's pretty fast. Oh, holy yeah. crap. Yeah. That's good. Nice. And you're still quoting everything yourself or you have guys? No. no, right? You've expanded it to other people to start handling yeah. it now. How fast are you, Scott? I try seven days, but like I'm the only person in my company. Of course, so because you're still swinging a yeah. hammer, and then you're also doing the quote, and then also it's probably the most stressful part of my business is estimates, making sure I get them out on time. Yep, quicker the better, obviously. Yeah, yeah, because they'll make a decision with somebody else if you don't, right? Yep, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So you probably have lost work, you think, because you couldn't get it to them soon enough. Yeah, but usually I'm okay with it. If they want, <laughs> like I get back to them. That's on them. Sorry, we hired already. <laughs> that's uh, that's the thing that I hate the most to to hear something like that that they already hired because of my like bad timing or whatever. It's so it's even a twenty four hour turnaround, they're still telling you we've already hired. No, somebody. that's I'm um, I'm doing also uh, checkup, follow ups after. Yeah. So yeah. they might choose somebody not because I was late or maybe price point. Maybe they had a good connection with somebody else or referred or whatever. You need feedback. Yeah, I always try to do a good follow-up a few days after. And uh, I wanted to do a, to present the quote like uh, personally, but that's a lot of uh, a lot of driving, a lot so of uh, going. It, it, it's good yeah. to, to get a personal connection and, and to meet the customer once again and go through everything, but not possible. How do you handle it, So, yeah, pretty similar start. Um, you know, somebody will reach out whether that's a phone call or, um, you know, a contact request form on our website, which comes in as an email. Yeah. 
um, we've set up our contact request form on our website so that it asks them like, you know, their name, their address, but then also um, to describe their project, what their budget is, what their timing looks like, that type of thing. So we've got a little bit of information when we call them. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, basically going out to, to see the site, meet the homeowners, discuss, you know, their vision, educate them a little bit, uh, talk about all that fun stuff. Um, and then that meeting is going to give me a really good sense of what this project looks like. Yeah. So then I can go back and put together a, a pre-construction proposal, which basically outlines the design fees that'll go along with developing the project. So we charge $100 an hour for uh, concept design, budget planning, and detailed design and permit administration. So depending on the size of the project, that could be 1500 bucks. It could be 15 grand, depending on on the size of the job that, that allows us the office time to, you know, really dive into it and, and put together a really robust design. And I know Scott's thinking right now about his design fee. Free estimates. <laughs> I'm just, I'm not laughing at you. We've all been there and it's just like every, and I'm sure you also factored into your pricing. Like there, it's cost, it's your time. You're yeah, I wish I could change it. I thought about charging and I'm like, <laughs> Better find a different job. Why not try? No, but there is a difference between design and a big project like that to just yeah. quote a deck. We also do a free estimate. We we offer that, and we're driving hundreds of kilometers a day between meetings. Um, but when it's getting to drawing, you know, can you show me in 3D how it's going to look like? And uh, I want to have uh, drawings for the permit. Can you make it for me? And stuff like that. So that's, yeah, of course, we're charging. But uh, estimate point of view, free. So just bottom line is I try to get as much information from them and to them to just get things moving a lot faster so then they appreciate what you I guys th- are bringing to the table. I think right? that asking for the budget is huge because oh, yeah. that saves so Where are they so getting that time. number from? <clears throat> yeah, who knows? Other than their line of credit or bank approvals or whatever they've saved in the piggy bank, right? Or their buddy spent. Their buddy spent. If but then they spent like in 1919. <laughs> yep. You know what I mean? Yep. So it's a different price point at that time. So, so it's if like, I know the budget before I estimate it, it makes my estimating so much better, so much quicker. I'm not wasting time. Because like often, if I don't have the budget, I need to ask more. Um, a lot of the times, I, most of the times I don't ask for the budget, so I'm pricing out um, way too much. But is asking for a budget like the red car syndrome, where you guys are car shopping and all of a sudden I want to buy a red car, so all day long you'll always notice a red car. So it's just like if they tell you the budget number, that's stuck in your head. So then you're going to somehow cater your number to land around that yeah. number. Yeah, but sometimes the customer doesn't really understand what's going on, right? He wants a 20 by 20 deck uh, with glass railing and uh, stairs and all of that, and his budget is $5,000. Happened to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, I'm still going to give him my quote, and he's not going to find the quote for $5,000, okay. right? So you still need to work for your quote and do everything because yeah. if you're going to build a deck, you're going to build with somebody. So. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, talking about that in that first visit and finding out that they have a $5,000 budget, I mean, right right there in that conversation, you can start to educate them about what their yep. range should, you should, you, I mean, you should be telling them like, hey, you know, I mean, we could we could put together uh, an option for you for a $20,000 deck, it could be a $50,000 deck, like where in that range are, are you comfortable, um, you know, what's important to you, or is it just the economics of it, are you really looking for something that's robust and that's going to last a long time? In which case you probably want to spend a little bit more like where what's your what are your decision making factors yeah that makes sense yeah. and what, I, what i've started doing is if they're if the client's going to ask for the glass railing with the composite and stuff what i actually started doing recently is just pricing out pt with um wood railing black 
steel balusters. So that's my basic deck that I build. And then I send them that and I say, if you're okay with that, then I will price for the composite and the glass. But the last three decks that I've priced, it's been over their budget using the cheaper uh, options for the materials. Of course. It saves me so much. Like, I don't know. That might not be good, but. How do you guys stay up with all the ever-changing materials out there, options out there? You guys going to trade shows? You guys are speaking to suppliers? Are the suppliers speaking to you guys? Are they notifying you, letting you know this is coming down the pipe? Like, how are you guys educating yourself so you can take that material and that experience to the clients? I just been in the state and visiting the plant of one of the supplier, okay. one of the manufacturers. Um, I'm trying to stick to one brand out of them, and the innovation coming to every company it's not that one of them gonna get better than the other one so i'm i'm comfortable with with one um, good supplier good manufacturer i'm the biggest installer in ontario of that manufacturer so they warranty my labor as well yeah as the package of uh, warranty to the customer typically they warranty only the materials so if you have one defective board in the middle of the deck they're gonna send you a new board but you need to open up and replace it, maybe open the railing and stuff, so that uh, manufacturer covering my labor cost as well for the for my customers. How are you guys handling it? Um, yeah, a little bit of interaction with uh, manufacturers and suppliers. Um, social media is pretty good as well, just to kind of, again, pick up those tips and tricks that other people have figured out yep. just on the fly. Um, but I think it's it's incremental improvements in your game year after year, whether that's, you know, epoxying your miters and figuring out expansion contraction with the material and it's just constant little improvements scott yeah just through ig and youtube that's, that's it, pretty uh, much i don't go out of my way to be honest with you if i get just because like i have 90 well 100 percent of my projects are pt and wood so um, until i get more any reason for that or budget customer budget yeah just my area, maybe. I What's think. the price difference we're talking about here, percentage-wise? What are we talking about? I price around three times more for um, uh, composite. Three times three more? Three times more? Than yeah. the PT. You guys around the same ballpark? I would say less, but... Uh, but you're also probably getting your PVC a lot cheaper, right? Yeah, but... Probably not. No, it's probably the same price point. I don't think that I can. I like can't. between the three of us? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. It's probably the same price. It probably is, right? Yeah. But then labor-wise. I know for sure it's going to take more labor. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It takes a lot longer. I would have said double to triple, um, but I, it's been a long time since I pressed a price to PT tech. I'd tell customers three times. Actually, I think I priced it at 2.5. It's, it's not between 2.5. Yeah. It's definitely over double, I think. Anyways, yeah. what I charge. Uh, let's get into the whole world of uh, deck home automation. Everybody wants bells and whistles now. Everybody wants lights, accent lighting, chronotherapy, whatever. Just like all kinds of massaging decks, vibrating decks. Like, <laughs> it's like, is that where it's all headed now? Or we, we want integrated speakers hidden somewhere and all this other stuff. I think one of the fanciest things I ever did in my first year of construction was reset a, recess a GFI plug into a 6 by yeah. 6 post. And, I, and then Sucks. chamfer a channel to run the wire. And I was like, that's great. That was wonderful. That was a pain in the ass. I didn't yeah. make any money off of it. But nowadays, it's like lights, speakers, just all kinds of stuff. Mists. Are we, are we putting mists on, on? 
I've gone to I patios before, I didn't and, and I've had mists. You know, I mean, you're on a patio deck summertime, you have a little mist going on, and you're like, that's yeah. actually a good idea. Can I sell that to a client one day? I don't um, know if it's just my bubble, but I find that uh, a lot of our clients are getting overwhelmed by automation. Too much. Because you can automate everything these days, so they've got too many apps on their phones and too many remotes and controls. Like, you look at anybody's, like, TV set these days, and they've got, like, six remotes <laughs> or whatever, that's right? It's true, right? Um, so, like... The consolidation of automation is being asked for. Um, so wherever we can kind of pull stuff together, like often we're incorporating our uh, exterior lighting, our low voltage lighting into the pool automation. So at least they can just use the pool app yep. as one consolidated source of automation for the backyard. Um, Speaker's a big thing these days? Hit and miss. Okay. Kind of depends on the people, whether they're big music people, big entertaining people. Scott, haven't tackled that world yet. I got nothing. No? No. It's coming. I'm telling you that right now. It's coming, man. I hope it does. People are going to ask for this stuff. If you could try to figure out how to do it for them and offer it. They can need to move. No, no. I think it's there. I mean, I'm sure, Adam, you've come across. Yeah, we're doing many lights, a lot of lights, um, a little bit of speaker, not too much. And uh, if you integrate the pergola in there, so you have all the blinds coming out and the louvers and lights in the pergola, fan, all of that. But in the deck himself, mostly is uh, electrical outlet and lights, low voltage lights. See, the low voltage, when they first came on the market, I wasn't a huge fan of it because uh, me, call me crazy, uh, light is has a purpose behind it. And having a little pinhole light in it's a an accent light, it's not straight up. And then if you stand at a certain point, it goes right in your eye like yeah. your high beams, right? So it's like. It doesn't serve its the key, purpose. The key with outdoor lighting is to not to see the fixture or see Exactly. It. That's where I was headed to. Supposed to give the moon glow effect on your surfaces, yes. provide. So now you have to be a lighting designer and yep. a deck builder to try to figure out where do I cascade this light? That's right. How do I wash the beautiful deck with light? Yeah, I think you have a big variety. Uh, InLight is one of the greatest, I think, uh, light provider, and they have plenty of solutions for any any surface to put the light in. Mm -hmm. So we typically put it on the risers of the deck yeah. with the Evo and uh, some under, if it's a frameless glass, we're putting under the glass panels. So you're never actually standing there and looking at it. And that's mostly it. That's the trick. And that actually makes it work. But it's also such, is the cost worth it? There's a wide range in the cost of, okay. of outdoor lighting, okay. low voltage stuff. There's stuff that's economical and there's exorbitant stuff and there's everything in between. There's a lot of suppliers doing it. Um, the economical so one, I, I'm trying to stay away. It's for tend sure. to get yellowish and yep. flicker after time and stuff. So it's much more work for me. The customer disappointed at, at the end. And mm -hmm. so we find anything with a brass fixture is, is a good bet. Um, like the cheaper stuff tends to be plastic. Okay. And then there's some powder-coated black stuff uh, that's metal-based, but I find over time the powder coating can fail on those. Um, but solid brass fixtures are, I find, pretty durable. Have the manufacturers actually solved the problem of just possibly keeping the fixture, making them last as long as possible, and then just having to replace the drivers? Or they haven't solved that problem yet? I mean, we've been using LED for a long time outside. Okay. Um, and they, they tend to last. But they're all running off of drivers, aren't they? Or no? I they're, don't. They're direct wired? I think they're direct. Really? Yep. Oh, I don't okay. think there's any drivers. 
Okay, I, I was on the assumption no. that they were okay because they're just all low voltage and putting them together. No, yeah, it's not like the pot lights that you have there. Yeah, no, no, no. The electricians are going to send me hate mail now. I don't give a shit. Yep. So let them no, send no, me. it's a direct. <laughs> no, it's all just back to a transformer okay. box that plugs into a standard, standard GFI. And that's it. That makes yep. sense. I want to ask you, gentlemen, is it worth getting the awards and the recognition attached to these decks? Is it valuable in the marketing scheme of things? I think it's important uh, as a standpoint to show a customer so he can get uh, feel more comfortable. That together with the reviews of customers, previous customers and references and stuff like that, just the reward himself, not too much, nothing, nothing to brag about. How do you guys feel? Yeah, I mean, we, we try and submit a couple a year just to kind of keep a little bit of a consistency with it. Um, I do it as much for our company culture internally as I do for marketing Um, because there's a bit of pride that goes through the team when that happens. Yeah, I mean, a a lot of industry awards are just kind of a pay-to-play type thing. You you submit your application fee, and as long as it's a a nice photograph of a good-looking project, you, you win. So it's kind of a participation trophy rather than an actual judged. Like, it's not like there's... 30 entries and three are winning. Got it. It's 30 entries and whatever amount of entries meets the caliber, the professional photography of a decent looking project, like 25 of them could win. Got it. And there's no first, second, third. It's just you want recognize. to recognize the industry's being recognized. Yeah. And that's, that's its purpose is, is to just kind of build, um, you know, industry morale, rapport. Um, you know, there's, you break? There's just the fact that, you know, other contractors, the, you know, the camaraderie, um, getting to know other people that, you know, maybe they do this type of thing and you don't. So, you know, being able to refer to each other, you meet people at these award events. Um, a little bit of branding, because, I mean, it's, the branding is industry internal as yeah. well, a lot of these things. Very little, I think, outreach into the homeowners that are seeing this type of stuff. But it gets you traction, I guess. I guess the... the if you are associated with this and you get recognized that way, then it could potentially get you traction on a digital platform. So then a client, potential could, client, could, sure could. could kind of connect the dots yep. and then all of a sudden go, well, you know what, maybe I'll give you guys a call because I just read something great about you guys because yep. you guys were attached to this award or something like yeah, that. Yeah, and there's a bit, I mean, you're, and you're putting these projects on your website and, you know, this yeah. one's award winning. There's a bit of credibility that goes along with that. So, it's, I mean, it's certainly not a bad thing. Certainly, certainly beneficial. Um, is it the be all and end all? I, no, I don't think so. But it's part of the whole package of yep. you trying to sell yourself. I mean, yep. you feel the same way, Scott? No, uh, I agree with what you just said. Yeah. Uh, I don't. Just Google Sobay Construction, look at my reviews, and that's all I need. Okay. But I'm having a problem with clients actually reviewing me on Google. I tell them it literally is more important than, you know, the money that I'm getting from you. But it's just they How forget. are you approaching asking them the third time, the fourth time? Uh, at some point, you got to stop asking, right? Yeah. Um, I'm going to be doing some follow-up emails here soon, but that's what it's important to me. As long as my Google reviews um, have a high rating, I thought about because I know that uh, like Google's best businesses, you can get one as long as you're over like four stars. Yeah. Um, I thought about getting one of those stickers for my truck, but it was like seven hundred and something dollars. <laughs> Is it really that? Yeah, much? and I was like, yeah, I'm not. But it's not like like you said. I agree with what you said. It definitely does not hurt, and it might steer someone from you know picking you know him over me if he's got one it could be you don't know for sure but it could be it could be a i found like especially with being in the carpenters union um the 
I thought being a licensed carpenter was so important to me until I was working with so many licensed carpenters and I realized that it really didn't make them any better than me. Um, cause I quit, I quit the carpenters union, yeah, quit my apprentice, uh, apprenticeship. And now I'm just like, that, me, that title means absolutely nothing to me. Cause I've seen so many licensed carpenters that I was just ashamed of, to be honest with you. That's a whole other world. Yeah. I want to ask you gentlemen about, um, how conscious are clients these days about sustainability? I know you guys talked about it briefly at the beginning of the show. Um, is it, is it overrunning the actual cost of a deck or is it still second fiddle to the cost of the deck regarding choosing material or choosing a contractor that's conscious of sustainability and building in a sustainable way for their deck? I haven't had one client uh, mention it. No, yeah. they don't discuss it. So they're discussing numbers and what you're going to deliver regarding the quality of your work. Yeah. And then Doug. Yeah, it's tough. Cause I mean, we're kind of experiencing this uptick now. Um, so I can't say I've got years and years of trends to kind of speak to. Yeah. Um, but as I said earlier, like it's certainly increasing the amount of clients that are asking about this type of stuff. Uh, and then with us, you know, when we're getting approached to do like, you know, an, um, an energy retrofit on a renovation, if they happen to say, Oh, we'd also like a deck. Well then naturally that conversation is going to lead into sustainable decking materials because they've already came from that, uh, from that standpoint of, you know, wanting to look at the energy performance of their home, yeah. right? So they're that type of person already. Uh, yeah. But yeah, definitely. Adam, not having a conversation? No, not really. Well, if you're installing 6,000 square feet of EPA. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not much about that. How do you guys, that's it? <laughs> the clients just want you to build a beautiful deck and leave it at that. That's it. doesn't matter if we're taking down trees in South America. No. We always, again, um, I think maintenance-free materials, that's the topic of today. Like yep. most of the customers tends to go there. I don't know if they got lazy, but uh, it's a new generation and nobody really taking care of the deck. And even if you do it at the first time for them, after that, you know, it, it's, it's not going back there. They just let it cure. So they all rather to keep it at the same color 24 seven for 10 years, 15 years. And me personally, I think it's uh, a lot of people, you know, today moving houses so fast. So they're buying a house after three years, five years, they're moving. And that's something that helps when you sell a house with a old pressure treated deck or cedar deck that haven't been maintained or a composite deck that they just power wash it and yep. it's a liability at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. My last three clients said this is not a forever home. Just do pressure treated. Yeah. Yep. So just make it last for as long as we're gonna be here. Yep. And then get out of Dodge. Yeah. And that's yeah, just just what happened with my jo the joist tape. I'm it was I there were repeat clients and I told him, you know, I'm gonna put joist tape on it and he's like, ah, don't worry about it. We're probably gonna move in two years. Don't worry about it. Techno Metal Posts have designed and created a series of specialized hydraulic equipment exclusively for the installation of helical pile foundations. A single machine compact in size allows the crew to complete installations for even the toughest foundations and tightest spots. It is less disruptive to surrounding areas compared to traditional methods as it does not require excavation, the use of heavy machinery, or concrete pouring. Another added benefit is the minimum impact on your lawn and surrounding landscape, leaving behind only a small small footprint 
Both customers and installers alike are highly satisfied with the ability to start construction on their project within a short period of time, even as little as within the same day. In the end, your project was efficient, tidy, and cost-effective. Reach out to them at W Techno Metal Posts for your next project. Okay. How do you guys handle changes? Like, I mean, obviously you start building, you've got a scope, you've designed mm. something, you did 3D model or whatever, and now you start building and the client starts coming out and... For whatever reason, their optometrist made them look at something different and now they don't see what they see that you guys have sold them and now they want to make a change. But you guys already started building. You're in the building process. Yeah, it's just a communication thing. Okay. Um, I mean, it starts with a detailed scope of work and a design that they've signed off on. Um, but then it's uh, like when they're asking for a change, it's it's how you communicate with them, what that process looks like and um, not getting your back up about it and, you know, you know no, no it's problem. It's a conversation. You know, let's just, let's, this, let's this is what we priced out. The, yeah. These are the, this is the design. This, these are the materials. This is the labor. Educating them on, okay, well, if you're asking me to do this, then it's going to, you know, we're going to have to peel back that and there'll be some time to do this. We'll have to go buy X number of these more. And kind of framing it and saying, hey, you know, like I'll get you a price. Um, and then not, not doing it until they sign off on the price first because that, that can really bite you in the butt. You know, them saying, hey, we well, want to change this, and you just saying, okay, well, it's not in the scope, it's going to cost more, like, I'll do it. And then after the fact, giving them the price for that change, and then, well, I didn't think it was going to cost yeah. five grand. Sounds familiar. Right? You've been through it, right, Scott? Uh, so uh, yep. Well, we all learn. Everybody learns in the beginning, right? So then, And then you just have the conversation. That's all it is, right? Mm -hmm. Keep them in the loop. Yep. But I guess it's when it, you get a client that dramatically starts to change. I don't want the pergola here. I want the pergola here. Like, it's just you start dramatically changing things, right? Yep. Yeah. I had a designer make a mistake. That was my problem. It wasn't the client. You had a designer make a mistake, and it became your problem. Yes. And the designer <laughs> didn't want to own it. So I then think I read that on a t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. It's a wow. Fixed it. Uh, I want to ask you guys, payment-wise, if you guys want to share how you guys, are we still like 50-50? What's the deposit? What's the final? Are you guys I'm doing a 20% deposit okay. upon signing, 40% uh, after demolition, if there is demolition, and uh, after the material being delivered to the backyard, and 40% at the end. You're holding out 40% at the very end. Yeah. That's a big wallet. It is. But again, give, I think also 20% is a small amount for deposit. Used it to is. be 10 up until two years ago for me. Uh, but it gives uh, confidence to the customer, I think. It does. It does. I've had guests on the show that don't even take a deposit because they want to start I don't like themselves. it because, yeah, but then you book that certain week or two weeks or three weeks to do that job. Yep. You're calling Ontario One, yeah, you're booking risky. the Hilco pile, you do, you're ordering the material if it's a special order. You're already doing so much work. Yeah, and yes. then, uh, okay, we're going to be there next week. Oh, I'm sorry, I booked with somebody else. I forgot that I... Uh, so it's not uh, at least something, even a $1,000, just something... Commitment. Yeah. How do you handle it, Scott? I don't... I no, like, no, no longer... I, I don't take a loss on any of the materials, so I'm 100% material deposit. And then mostly I wait all the way till the end for, the, again, I'm one person, my decks, my deck, my decks are a little bit smaller Yeah. Um, for the duration of the project. But um, typically I'll do 100% material deposit and then my labor's paid 100% at the end when they're happy. 
but for that really large deck that I completed, there was a, um, still 100% um, deposit for the materials, but I bought the materials in stages. So I bought the concrete portion, say it was $8,000, I'd get an $8,000 check, yeah. and then the framing was $12,000, I'd get a $12,000 check. Um, and then my labor was, uh, um, it was uh, like uh, progression payments. Yeah. Sorry, I couldn't. I couldn't find yeah, that. Right. That makes sense. Um, but typically for smaller jobs, if they're going to be under three weeks, then I'll just do uh, pay at the end. And Doug, how are you guys? Have and that? I haven't had one problem with any client um, asking for one hundred percent. If it ain't broke, man, just don't because fix like it. if they decide to not pay me, and most of the time, like I don't even do contracts most of the time, which is going to change here, as <laughs> I now have had problems. Um, but so far, I have not had a problem with that. Um, you will. <laughs> we're not wishing it yeah. we're just saying that you long enough in the game I just mean I haven't had a problem with asking for 100% material okay yeah. alright yeah. yeah and Doug yeah we do 10% to book and then uh, another 20% when we place material orders so that kind of gives us a 30% deposit because yeah. we're not actually paying for the materials when we order them um, and then we do bi-weekly progress billing so every every two weeks our office sends out uh, an invoice on active jobs for whatever we've accomplished Cool. So that kind of keeps cash flow in a yeah. very cyclical, um, regular uh, pattern. And then I guess Mother Nature gets involved and that yep. kind of slows down a tiny bit, but then the office just gets aware of that and then we just kind of backtrack it a little bit, yeah. right? Well, we, we bill every two weeks, no matter, no matter what. So whether it's, matter. Yeah, that's good. If we, uh, if we haven't done anything, we send them a no update update, which is essentially just an update saying, hey, you know, there hasn't been significant, significant enough progress to actually bill you anything. Yeah. But it's still a message. Um, or if there's a small, whether it's, you know, a thousand bucks, it still goes out. But every, every two weeks they get some sort of invoice message. How are you guys keeping your crew busy on days that you can't physically work? You prepping other jobs, you're getting other things organized, you're fixing the shop. Uh, Scott's kind of chuckling here cause he's the crew, but how are you guys handling that? I mean, we're, we're lucky we have renos on the go as well. Yeah. So yeah, they can go inside, um, but, I mean, it's usually pretty bad outside if they can't do something. And Adam, you're the same way? Well, I don't do reno, but, yeah, there is always always something to do. Never uh, never sit home. If it's a rainy day, we find what to do. And uh, I'm also I'm a mix of uh, subcontractors and employees. So, of course, first of all, I'm taking care of my uh, employee to get busy. And, yep. uh, I never had any any issue with it, and yeah, we're still working with the light rain. Winter time, we work all winter last year, oh, wow. and except up to minus fifteen, ten, we're still out there working. Wow, good for yeah. you guys! Nice. Another reason why to do hill copile with techno metal. Post, right? <laughs> <laughs> somebody plug in somebody. Actually, it brings up my next point because I know that Scott, you haven't used it yet. No, I so not. you're still doing concrete piers, right? Oh yeah. But Doug, obviously you you guys have used it. Yep. I've I've done it a number of times, right? Yep. And I've used it for I've used it for a bunkie. I've used it for deck. I've used it for something else that he doesn't want me to mention. But you used it for other things as well too. And it's just when I when I used it for the first time. But what other foundations have you guys worked with? Have you guys just done strictly concrete and just a sauna tube, and then or have you done I guess block? Um, I did blow a couple of times when it's not attached to the house. Okay, so free floating. Yeah. Okay. But it's again, I'm not nothing with techno moves. metal post, but yeah. Hilco pile is so clean, fast, quick. 
accurate and the concrete man I, I used to own a machine and you know becoming a whole crew there just to dig it and then we need to dig beside it because there is a rock there and to clear all the soil bring the concrete mix with the I was sold when and you'll be sold first I know I'm definitely looking into when it when you come up across a deck that's near a tree and we oh know that we know the rule of thumb right so yeah. if the canopy of the tree is one size yeah. the root system is twice that size of the canopy that's the average rule yep. right so if you already see a tree and you got to build a deck that's probably just underneath the canopy you're hitting roots and pain in the ass right with a helical, you can just drill right through the roots. Not through yeah. the roots. You drill underneath, around the roots, right? Yeah, it'll chew through it usually. Yeah. But, I mean, they're also conscious of you actually dig a little bit and you go underneath it, which is what I like about oh, I'm it. I'm definitely so. interested because, yeah, I've, like, dealt with a concrete truck by myself with two wheelbarrow buckets running, just wow. hoping I don't trip and follow my own rebar <laughs> that I've That's hoped terrible. Up. Yeah. I'm, th- I'm, th- I'm not – I'm 35, but still, it's, like, a lot of labor. And I mostly end up hand digging my uh, for my peers with my big Milwaukee um, SDS because like access, I just find sometimes it's just not worth it to rent a machine. And digging bu- with an SDS? No, 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 no. When I hit the rocks, when I get a rock, yeah. then I just grab the bit the big Milwaukee, break it. My body's dying. I'm, just, I'm dying That's just the, listening to yeah. that. Man. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, the bit the large deck that I keep referring to was uh, I think it was 1,200 square feet. It was around a pool. Uh, there's 15 piers. I rented one of those Toro, the mini uh, skid steers. I think they're called Toro. Um, they're the little one that you stand behind. A yeah, dingo. Yeah, the dingo. Yep. I had it, and I spent a full day with it, and I couldn't get to depth. Uh, I think I only got to depth on three of my holes. There was bedrock, but it was like, it was there was like crazy shelves on the bedrock. So I rented it for the day, and it was pretty much useless. So I ended up having to do most of it by hand with the SDS, and. Uh, yeah, it was two weeks. Two weeks later, yeah. I literally was two weeks, and then the building inspector came, and he's like, why did you dig this out so much? He's like, you could have just stopped that one about three feet up and just done rebar. Yeah. Like, I was breaking through the bedrock. I was just like, no, I, like, wow. I was so inexperienced with, with the, the, the bed, like the rock, I didn't, I didn't believe that it was strong enough. And the building inspector's like, you're crazy. I've man. seen that. Have you done that with Techno, where I've actually had them anchor it to a stone that wasn't going to move? Like, they determined that that stone was there. That's yep. all it is. And then they just anchored it right yeah. to it. Yeah. And then we built off of that. And it was like it was impossible. It was a, it was on an angle. It was on a yep. hillside going into a lake, right? So it's like, how do you do this? And then they just anchored it to it. And I was like, okay. That's when you'll get sold. You'll get sold when you start digging. And whether you come across really sandy, soft soil, and you got to keep on digging, and you're concerned about putting a, a pier in there, and you're four feet down, and you're Yeah, but that can top. surprise you as well. Extension and another well, extension. Oh, I know. How, and far, have you, how extension. far have you gone? I've gone as far as 12 feet. 60. Uh, really? Wow, that's insane. Yep. You just see it spin and spin and spin and spin yep. and spin. Yeah, we were actually this this one, we were doing a, a gated entrance, like masonry walls on a gated entrance. Wow. And we were going to do a traditional uh, concrete frost foundation. Yeah. Uh, but the soil was unstable. So it was obviously, it was like it was kind of a marshy area. Yeah. And uh, so then the engineer suggested we do helical piles under the four-foot frost wall to stabilize it. And they just kept going, just wow. kept going 60 feet. So yeah, it was eight, eight That's piles something that I never, I never price extensions in my... Uh, at, at that point, you just get the crew from Frontiers and just get on a space shuttle and go <laughs> stop the asteroid, man, if you're right. digging that far, right? Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's far. That's yeah. insane. Were they even surprised? They yeah. must have been surprised. 
Uh, I don't think so. I think they. Yeah, I think. I mean, it's not common, but it's it's not unheard of. Well, at least you yeah. know that it's safe. It's not gonna. Nothing's yep. gonna happen to that. It's, it's just when they hit a certain torque rate. That's all it is. Yeah. So, so they know that they can't move from that yep. point, right? Yep. And so you just the last four feet you poured concrete and it just sat on that. Yep. Yeah. So the footer sat on the Got it. on the saddles, uh, on flat plates with rebar. And then there was still the four foot. Wait till you get wall. into that, Scott. Oh, yeah. you'll, you'll, you'll probably come across a client. I want to get rid of all my concrete and finishing it because I'm so anal. I, when I take my sauna tubes off and I see any like air pockets or anything like that, I get so like worried. And my, my friends that own the companies are like, no one's looking at the peers. No one cares. He's like, you're That's the only one. a good place to start, man. He's you're like, in a good. Uh, yeah. He's like, it's better that than somebody, you know, that mixing dirt in the concrete yeah. and uh, try <laughs> He's to. He's like, you're the only one that actually takes the cardboard off. And I'm like, are you serious? Like, it <laughs> yeah. gets taken up. And I want to take I it guess. off. First of all, it doesn't look good. And second of all, I want to see my concrete, how it finished. Because, like, I don't, I True. still, I don't even have a vibrator. And uh, on the last big one I did with the two wheelbarrows, I know there was way too many air pockets in my concrete. So, last one, I, I just grabbed my sawzall and. <laughs> It helped a little it bit. It kind of makes sense. But I want to see the, my concrete. So, But yeah. if I can eliminate concrete, then I'll be happy. You got to give it a try because you'll, you'll see it be a game changer. And all of a sudden, your pricing will probably have to change as well, too. But then also, what you deliver for your clients is going to be better, right? And my spine. Your spine. You it. Well, you yeah. could, like, it just cuts out so much time. That's the biggest thing is it takes a two-week deck down to like a week and a half or, or a week. And then you can also, while they're installing your foundations, you can be over-finishing another deck so it's just it's capacity you right? never you've never experienced where you actually can start building a deck the day that yeah, it happens weeks after. Yeah, you could have the deck frame or 237 right? emails later yeah uh, takes a while. we've all done that where you start having it all framed ready to go by on the same day that it happened right which yeah. is always fun yeah, um, typically we're putting the ledger board while they're installing the <laughs> yeah yeah yep. that's how we, we deliver the material to the back and putting the ledger board building the beams outside while they're installing the piles they gone they're cutting everything six inch and we i want to ask you guys about cowboys because i guess you get a lot of deck builders that don't spend the time and effort to mark out the foundations properly right whether you're digging your own piers right but the thing is if we're getting somebody else to come in and put the foundations for us are you guys are spending the time and effort to actually cross hairs perfectly where we want? They that. would never mark it for you. No, no. You have to do it for you. You have to do it, right? Yeah. But the thing is, we have to call, you know, uh, one call, and then we've got to get all our locates done and take care of all that stuff first. But I've always been so conscious of that the crosshairs being this is exactly yep. where I yeah. want it. Right? Bumbub. Like, yeah, you have to. Yeah. High school trigonometry is That's simple as that. Yep. But, but I know that there's a lot of deck builders that don't take that critical step. They don't think it's a critical. Well, you're step. just causing yourself issues when you go to frame, like especially set the beams. Yeah, what do you mean? So what are they perfect. doing? They're just hoping a prayer. They're on their hands and knees, and they're just like, "Okay, this is fine." Then you start framing, you're like, uh, "Okay, oh. right there, that'll be good." <laughs> Put a little plate, you know, whatever. Extend it. Give me a bigger plate. That's what they're doing. No, that's what I'm seeing. Uh, I don't know. I'm seeing some guys do that. That's I never thing. saw it, and I hope it's uh, only a story. I've seen it. I've seen it. <laughs> you guys ever get, is it worth it uh, doing the 3D modeling, the sketching, and presenting it to clients and walking them it through? It is not worth it because I do it for free. <laughs> you do it for free? No more. Now I'm just doing simple overhead squares so they can see the shape in their backyard to scale. The and that's it. Are you guys, you guys are doing them, right? Yeah. But again, it depends on the project. Of course. Uh, but are we getting very elaborate with them or are we just getting enough to kind of show them? No, I mean, I used to because I thought it was important, but now it's more like massing models. Um, 
to kind of give them a vibe of, of the space. And then once they're comfortable with that, then you go to construction drawings. Yeah, I think as long as it's to scale, that's, that's yeah. the most important thing. Because yeah. some people can't read plan view, right? Especially with like a, um, like a living space, like a deck, where there's going to be some furniture and they're going to want to sit around. So with a 3D model, if you can put some furniture and some people yeah. in for context yeah. and they can, they can sense the space much better, most people. Because yeah. in, in plan view, a lot of people can't get uh, the understanding of what that yeah. space is going to feel like. Well, that's, that's what clients are, aren't they? Like they don't, yeah. you can't walk down a hallway and understand what a four foot wide hallway is, right? So that's why I was at the start of the show, I was asking about what the size of an average deck for a table yep. for six people, what the, you need, you need pa travel path, you need space. Yeah. And especially mm -hmm. for outdoors, it almost becomes amplified. It's slightly larger because mm -hmm. I guess seating areas are always larger. Backs are larger, depths are larger. Furniture is bulkier. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah. yeah. So then you got to factor that in when you start building it, right? Mm -hmm. So the, like it's nice having a conversation with a client and they, oh, we just want a, like a, an 8 by 10 deck. Well, you're not going to fit a couch on this. You won't fit yep. a, a fire pit. You won't fit any yep. of this stuff. So you need all that space, right? So you guys know that, but it's just a matter of showing it to them. So yep. the 3D modeling kind of helps a little bit on that. It does. Yep. Okay. Last month, I literally, my client had a Tesla. And I was doing built-ins in their garage, and I actually loaded a Tesla model into the SketchUp and parked it exactly to scale where she parks. And then I brought the camera down inside the car so that when she came home, she could look out of her window and see exactly the way the built-in looked. And I colored the built-in. I drew everything, and it took a lot of hours. I got the job. <laughs> Good for nice. you. Uh, how much would you guys balance aesthetics of a deck versus functionality of a deck? I'm a big fan of functionality. Okay. So it's not 50-50 here. I, I agree. The functionality has to be bang on. Okay. And then you do as good as you can with aesthetics after that. Same thought. I'm just like, because I'm doing exposed fasteners uh, for most of my, all my builds. Um, I'm very anal with my fastener placing. Like it's all symmetrical. Everything's measured out. I will say that I have um, made a decision to use the quick drive, which I really didn't want to buy one. Um, but on the larger projects, um, I'll, I'll tack my decking down with uh, three screws, and then I run a, a, like a zero chalk line that just blows away with the, with the uh, you just dust it off. So I'm, I'm, I'm tacking my deck boards, snapping for the whole length of the joist, and then I'm going through being very careful with the quick drive. Um, but if it's a smaller deck, then I'll, I'll, I'll hand measure everything out. Um, and I used to do that for every single deck, but as being the only person in my business i need you know i need a little bit of efficiency yeah so i've switched to the quick drive but it still kind of drives me crazy if, if it's not perfect you remind me of myself eight <laughs> years ago or so yeah see i'm year four now i imagine the next four years i'll be a bit different no it's it's gonna change believe me it's gonna change you guys ever build a deck on top of a concrete slab yeah i had a client ask me to do that a few years ago i don't think i have so we actually, we did helicos on... Flash concrete. on the concrete? Not flash, no. So I, yeah, you're cutting the concrete, putting the helico pile. That's what you mean? No, no, we actually incorporated it with the rebar. So we actually did it as a floating slab, but the weight of it was sitting on all so the So it helicos. depends on the thickness. And yeah, uh, so we were doing like a six-inch slab, and then they wanted the deck on top of the slab because they didn't want the deck to move at all, and mm. they didn't want anything breathing underneath. So then we actually did inch-and-a-half sleepers, PVC sleepers, every 12-inch on center. They had to be tapcon into the concrete, and then everything was all fastened to those sleepers for the whole it's deck. intense. It was a shitload of work. Mm -hmm. Shitload of work. But I mean, I'm hoping that it still looks exactly the way it was. But the concrete was sloped? Sloped. Or? And the deck as well? Sloped. 
he wanted it all to run off to go right to the and he wanted it to be at grade so that's why yep. he, he chose the concrete instead of doing a substructure of uh, because the substructure would never the joist would never have survived no. I'd be worried about stuff getting in um, between the deck boards. And well, the, the thing is that the sleepers had openings at the very end, so we left it that way so there was no skirt board. So basically, you could wash the deck and it will all just be channels. You drain out. It just drained right out, right? So there was enough slope that it worked. So but even like leaf litter and... Yeah, that's the thing is that if it could accumulate over time, something would go. Uh, right. But I think that it's you're dealing with concrete, PVC. You're not dealing with anything that's going to rot. Yeah. So... Yeah. It should, in theory, last a long time. And his whole idea was I wanted it to be a grade. So it was a lot of work. I always have a hard time, to, like, the lower the deck. If it's ground-level deck, I always have a problem with it just because the step uh, has to be, you know, within seven, three-quarters or whatever it is. So really, if I'm doing a ground-level deck and they just want it one step, I have to do two-by-six framing. And two-by-six framing can only span out, like, six and a half feet. So I Or flash beam. Yeah, flash beam. beams. So I do flush beams, and they're like, why is this so expensive? And then I have to explain yeah. to them, like, all the piers and the, the flush beam. They don't understand that. And they don't know what flush beam is, I'll tell you that. But it can be done. I've done it. Lots of hangers. <laughs> but also, I don't, like, I don't like the idea of having, like, no ventilation underneath it. So they're just tricky, I find. But deck's a living, breathing thing, right? So that's what you just got to kind of educate the clients at that point. It's yeah. beyond the point of just the... F- the cladding. I think most clients think it's just the finished material, but that finished material is nothing without the substructure, right? And all the work beforehand, right? Okay, I got to ask you guys, why is it, or I don't know if this is a Canadian thing or if it's an American thing or what's the story. Why is it that when clients want decks outside, they want to put curves into everything? TV. Dr. Dr. Dex. Dex. Oh, we said it at the same time, Dr. Dex. Yeah. Is, is, so why is it that we have to bend everything outside? Because most homes are not all curved. Because it's cool. <sighs> is it? <laughs> not for me. <laughs> for the customer. Is it really cool? Is it kind of cool? Is it inviting? Is it warmer? I, I find it's it cool until they see the price of it but it's and the price of curved glass railing but, but, around but, but, it. But furniture layout. Well, back to a previous question of functionality, right? Yeah. Like the moment you're putting curves in, you're reducing, you're limiting some of the uh, functionality. I mean, unless you're so planned out that you've got like a circular sectional or something that needs a circular deck and it's... Which they do offer it, but for a price tag. Sure. Right. Yeah. yeah. But if you, I mean, if you're going to put a, a rectangular dining table or a couple couches or a sectional, like a, a round deck doesn't make sense. So it, it's totally just the cool factor. Um, I mean, we've never done one because we don't, don't have to because I feel like we've talked some sense into most of our clients. But yeah, just... Functionality in yeah. front of the aesthetic yep. size, right? So simple, clean cut. So I, I guess it's fair to say that's more of an American side of things instead of the Canadian side of things. I just don't I think see it's just the like the it's west, the top of the market where people have you know three, four hundred thousand dollar budgets for their deck, and they're just like, give me every possible trick and light show, and that's where you, I I feel that's where you get the curves going on. Same thing. Yeah, yeah, we got our requests for it, but uh, we always talk the customer out of it. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't think it's smart to do it. I'm not a big fan of it. Um, but that's it. So again, functionality and all the tricks. Like you can make a nice picture frame, nice, nice fascia, double picture I'm frame. A, I'm on the same page. Play around with it, but keep it functional. Page. Have you have you, you used thermally modified wood, right? We have a couple times, yeah. Okay, have you mm-hmm. used it or just once? Once. Have you have you guys ever curved it? No, no. So I actually did a curved staircase with it, 
and all the risers were with curved. Steam or mm. with a no with steam the failed. Steam failed like a car crash. You really? cannot steam thermally. So the blankets? Modern. No, we curve cut it all. Oh God! With a lot. Of, oh my God! Oh, so just the face. It was. Like it was. Not, yeah, not yeah. sideways. No, no. Just and for the actual treads, I used one uh, five quarter six board, right? So a six inch whatever board, and then we put three pieces and we curved those, and then we finished each edge and then put them on, right? So then that's how you got the curved tread. But when it came to the riser, we curve cut everything. Mm -hmm. That was a that's lovely what you cuts. do right there. Pain in the ass. A lot of cuts. Turned out beautiful, but pain yeah. in the ass, right? So because I, I quickly. Ask myself, can we steam it? So we built the steamer, we put it in, we left it in there for half the day, we took it out, tried to bend it, and it just broke. Really? It's already been sucked from all this moisture. moisture there's no moisture yeah. in it, so then yeah. there's nothing for it mm -hmm. to be pliable, right? So that failed like a car crash. Which yep. But it's a learning process, And but I was able to still bend it, which was a challenge in itself, right? So There's another one we've used, uh, Akoya, which is... Um, yeah, I've heard of it. I don't think it's thermally modified. I think they put it in like an acid bath of some sort because it's, I believe it's SPF and okay. then they, it's essentially this acid chemically modifies it uh, to stabilize it. So, so you reactivate it to, it does something to, uh, to kind of close its pores. Like it chemically changes the wood fibers. So it's uh, completely weather resistant. It doesn't expand or contract. Like it stabilizes. It's like you're, you're essentially, the end product is similar to a thermally modified natural wood, but instead of heat, it's it's a chemical reaction. Got it. Okay, they've done it. So we use we've used that to build some benches before. How are you bending Ipe? You don't. <laughs> <laughs> That's the answer I was looking for. I know you don't. Yeah. If it shows up bent, but it's not going to be yeah. bent the way you want it. Exactly. <laughs> you haven't tackled any of that stuff yet, Scott, eh? I have not. I'm still, You'll come across a client. I'm still trying to figure out if I want to try a herringbone deck design, but I don't know if pressure treated if it's going to be worth I it. I keep looking at that wall there, and I'm talking to Angelina all the time, saying I'd like to do a deck floor like that, and I'm like... I would insane. too. I'm just trying to think, like, especially... The amount of blocking oh, yeah. <laughs> that you need to do in the frame. On a clip system, too. Yeah. Right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> have you guys ever collaborated with other contractors in the area if you had a project that maybe was a little too big or you want to share the wealth or whatever the experience have you guys ever come across that from the same field or yeah. I, I do it a lot with the interlocking yeah. pools yeah. Um, so you guys are working together to kind of achieve the same goal yeah, so there's yeah, a, like you handle a deck kind of thing but you got the the interlocking crew coming in or the pool crew like you guys you do that well that's what we do we're yeah. we're, we're design build we're more of a general contractor than anything else yeah. so we're we're constantly like most of our jobs we have anywhere between two and 20 trade partners working with us that we manage. Do you guys, do you see a lot of the guys wanting to overstep, like they're handling stone for the whole six months of the year and all of a sudden, yeah, give me a piece of wood. I want to start building no. a deck. No? no, they stay in there. Yeah. No. Cause we tend to like plug and play people that are, uh, you know, better, faster than us at any given task. So whether that be a Mason, electrician, plumber, roofer, drywaller, painter, Whatever it is, it's it, we're we're bringing them in because they're better and faster than us. So it's it's when we can't find somebody that's better and faster that we will self perform something. So for us, that's rough carpentry, trim work. Yep. Um, and then on the landscape side, it's hardscape. Um, kind of the the meat and potatoes, the middle part is yep. what we're self performing. But all the specialty stuff where there's there's people out there that are better and faster than us, and that's that's who we bring in. So we're constantly collaborating. Nice. Adam? 
Yeah, same idea. Again, all the landscaping, uh, hardscaping as well, stone, tarp. So they'll get a job and they'll talk to the client and the client Typically wants it's I get the job. Or you get, okay. And I, I take it, price it, and if I accept it, I just... You don't want to get into stone? No. I did it once at my house. It's killed my back, man. I don't understand how people do that. <laughs> and the dust and the quick cut. Gotta oh, be yeah. Portuguese. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. it, huh? <laughs> Scott, you're waiting for that or no? You're not going to collaborate or... Uh, yeah, I, I would. I have I have friends that um actually I, one of my uh, close friends owns a pool company out of Kingston. They do like luxury backyards. So I imagine me and him will meet up at some point. You guys ever had the challenge or or kind of uh, a client that was looking to get some accessibility decking built and ramps and things like that? Yeah, yeah, working that way, and that, that's a slightly different set of rules. There are, especially with the. Uh one to 12 uh, slope that you need to go yep. Yep. and you need to drop 30 inches it's like 30 feet to go so all the curves and all the stuff but yeah it's it's happened we did it a few times already nothing too crazy but different rules a little bit and you guys have you guys done yep yeah you guys have done that yep and i think it's a, a slow steady increase because of the baby boomer generation it's um you know as the population ages it's uh, getting more and more common those, and the baby boomers have money to do these projects too, right? So, To ensure the stability and security of any given structure, pile caps or support plates are affixed to the top of each pile. Techno Metal Post offers a range of support plate models and sizes to accommodate various dimensions or materials. Additionally, TMP manufactures different helical pile sizes to suit their different project requirements. Smaller piles are designed for lighter projects such as decks and verandas and larger ones for heavier loads and purposes such as cottages, garages, and buildings. Reach out to them at www.technometalpost.com for your next project. And I think that when you start getting to a certain age at that point, you just want things to be like comfortable. Yep. Right? You don't want, (laughs) I guess that's, to be a clientele where you want to want a bunch of different level decks right you'll just want things to just naturally transition from mm-hmm. one area to another area right yeah and functionality becomes a, a huge part of it like you guys mentioned earlier on right yep so. and accessibility is constantly being added to the building code as well yeah slowly and surely um educational resources where can you guys send clients off to on the web or whatever to interest pinterest yep 100%. as an educational resource or as a confusion resource. <laughs> Stay away from it. <laughs> okay, all right. You're being facetious. All right, so that makes sense. I mean, I, I try not to. I try and be the resource for them. That makes a lot of sense. Build, build the trust first and then, uh, again, consolidate the information so that they can uh, have an easier time making decisions. Because uh, you can send them down the rabbit hole and they're, they're going to get overwhelmed. Yeah. I mean, these people have day jobs. They have kids. They don't, they don't have an hour, let alone 10 hours, to do their own research. Unless they're an engineer. Unless they're an engineer. But they'll have days then to they're go gonna do it anyways. Pinterest. They'll already have Pictures everything. of all kinds yep. of decks that they want yeah. to build, right? Here. I want yeah. like this. Exactly. But that's, I mean, that's what they're paying us for at the end of the day, right? To be the experience and the resource. But don't, don't you guys as deck builders want to always try something new and build something new? Or I do. Yeah. Are you guys always fine with just rebuilding the same thing that you built just it's a different backyard now better for business yeah i think at the beginning yeah it was interesting to learn and to try everything and 
again, me, myself, at the beginning, I also I answer all the phone calls, went to all the quotes, build all the decks. I deliver myself all the materials because I didn't want to pay $150 for delivery. And then you need to chase the customer to, for the payment. So it's been a long process of learning. And I remember the first composite deck I built, I first did the picture frame and then put the boards in. <laughs> and, you know, you put it, ah, I need another 16 to the saw. So you put it, ah, the angle is not great. Five <laughs> times for each board. We've all been there, man. We've all done yeah. that same thing. Yeah. You go by the track saw. Yeah. That was a game changer a few years back. Um, but yeah, so the same, I'm trying to be the resource for all the information for them, everything in our websites. And they have, uh, as soon as my, uh, uh, my estimator meet them the first time, so they have direct line with me with my cell phone. They can always call me or him and, and ask any question. If they have questions about materials, after we show them all the samples, I always send them to the store, like a specialty deck store, and not to go to Home Depot, Lowe's, Rona, all of that. Um, and that's it. So I want to ask all three of you guys, what are the top three questions that clients should ask a potential deck builder that they want to hire? And what are the top three questions that you as a deck builder should be asking the client regarding a deck that they want you to build? I think references is very important okay. for the customer to, to ask for, to, to look up in the internet. Um, I've never had one person ask me for a reference. Never had? No, Not and once. I wish they would. Because it's you're, you're more than gladly to, to offer that, right? I mean, you could, yeah. you could actively provide that. Yep. They've not worried. Okay, they so references? I, I love when clients ask, just straight up ask, like, what would, if this was your house, what would you do? Like, in your experience... It's a dangerous question, isn't it? Yes and no. I mean, it's not like they're going to just heed your word unfiltered and just do it. Okay. Um, but they're, they're asking, they're essentially, it's a leading question asking for, like, in your experience, what's, what is the right way to do this, right? Mm -hmm. And there's no yeah. right way. It's, That's a good it's question. Custom. It's totally custom, but, you know, how, how do you do things? Like, what's your process? Why do you do it that way? Because yeah. um, then that leads into the conversation of, well, we use helical piles because they're, uh, you know, not messy. They're not going to, you know, uh, we're not going to have to dig near your tree. There's, there's benefits. They're longer lasting than con all these things. Right. Um, so yeah, asking, asking for, uh, just candid advice on, on what they should do. I think is a great question for the homeowner to ask. Anything else? If I was a homeowner, I would ask, what can you do with my project? that would make my project different from any other project, you know? Like, what, what, what are you going to do that's going to be different? Is that truly what a client wants? Is I don't think so. They want a different deck than what their neighbor has? That's what I would want. I agree with you. That's what I want. I wouldn't want, if I look over my neighbor's fence or whatever, and I'm looking down, I'm like, I don't want that, even though they have it. I want something else. Right. Or, or similar to that, what differentiates you between exactly. other people I might be getting? Well, yeah, when I see that, what I see is a standard-looking deck. I see a standard. But you never know what's underneath, right? Yeah. If it's 2x6 or 2x8, if it's uh, galvanized hardware or not, if it's uh, 12 on center or 20 on center, if it's... 20? Uh, I see 24. I saw, I saw a lot of things, but yeah. That's that's those things the customer never and they they will never know about it. 
unless somebody else pointed out to them. Twenty with a composite vacuum, <laughs> and that's another reason why my <laughs> composite probably DIY, DIY, right? <laughs> the composite price is more because there's more joists in there. Like you had twelve inch center, so it's more joists. I've always and only ever built my decks on twelve inch center. Yeah, I've never seen. done it at sixteen. I just whatever. I've seen it. Like it's I just very wavy, especially I'm if they don't clean. It. I'm doing sixteen. You're doing sixteens sometimes with yeah. composite. Uh, with P- PVC, PVC, you're not allowed. You with PVC. composite, okay. you can. PVC, you're not allowed. It's 12 on center. It's 12 on center, right? Yeah, but composite, approved by 16. It'd be yeah. fine, yeah? yeah? I just find it, it's a little far for me, but I just, for the extra or whatever the size deck, if it's going to be yeah, five Yeah, it's or two or three more joists. That's all it is, right? Yeah. That's why it is. And I know it's harder than you securing and you're tighter and you're putting more fasteners on. And mm-hmm. It's a little faster. But yeah, it's not a, not a big deal. But um, again, by the book and by everything, it's it's allowed. Not on stairs. Stairs always twelve on center. Yep. Doesn't matter. Composite PVC, but it is what it is. Uh, business growth. As we get closer to the end here, I just want to ask you guys because I know that Scott, you're growing yours. You guys are frontiers. You guys are establishing, but you're still growing. And then same with you, Adam. You're established, but you're still growing. You're constantly growing. Everybody's growing, right? Mm-hmm. What are some key things that you guys have done that have made you guys grow well um, in this business? Tracking your time. Step is huge. back. Okay. Step back. Yeah. Let somebody else do some of the work. Exactly. Scott? <laughs> it's hard. It's hard. It's I know never it's hard. Easy. I, I know think it's, it's hard. the hardest thing, and things are never going to be done your way and the way that you're expecting them. You always need to compromise a bit, and you're going to lose some money. It's not that you're going to lose. You're going to gain it somewhere else, but you're not going to get a 100% profit that you used to, but it's going to give you so much more time to think about how to improve other stuff and how to grow. That's number one, in my opinion. And if you step back to let someone else do something, they might actually have something that you never even thought of. And then you might end up using their little detail that they Fresh incorporated. Yeah. Most likely, no. You do, <laughs> you're doing it the best. You're doing it the best, but you always can teach them and, and direct them to your direction. <laughs> and I'm doing it with every employee or subcontractor or first project, two or three projects. You're building with my crew. You see how we build things because everybody knows to build a deck. But everybody have uh, his own thing. So first of all, learn my way and then that's, that's my, my way to do that. I know with Frontier, Doug, you guys started in the outdoor space, right? Mm-hmm. And then, Adam, you started in decking. Right. And then you're framing, but then now you're getting into decking. And I want to ask all three of you gentlemen, why the love for decking? I love the outdoors. I feel comfortable with it. I need my time off in the winter when I used to have it. Winters are getting shorter, less colder or less wetter days. So you can work through the winter now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we're getting tougher. So, yeah. Scott? Uh, yeah, I'm, my background is like framer, 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 framer. So doing decks is just it's second. It's so easy for me to, to – the frame of the deck is so easy for me because I'm so uh, versed in framing. Um, that's probably why I'm, I like them the most. I don't know. That's just a simple answer. I don't have to think too much, I feel. Does it bring us yeah. right back to just being outside and enjoying – yeah, like our carpenters, after they've been inside doing renos all winter, they're like, oh, yes, a deck, I can be outside, get some sun, <laughs> right? They cut the sleeves off their shirts. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, as far as outdoor work, because we do it all, uh, like compared to laying interlock or something, like a, a deck is very enjoyable to work on. So I think it's the fact that it's like a, a prominent feature. They look really cool. Um, it's not hugely hard on your body to be a deck builder. Um, there's, there's an element of, you know, precision and craftsmanship that goes along with it. It just kind of checks a lot of those boxes, I think. I mean, it's, I, I still think it's fine finished carpentry. Totally it is. Everything that totally. you do, every cut that you make is visible. Especially when you're in the PVCs and composites. Yeah. And you need to take in consideration the heat and the weather and when you yeah. cut it. And it's, it's a lot of things. Yeah. But it's fun. I, I love it. Especially if the deck is about three feet high so you can work there you go. Yep. comfortably. <laughs> Great. What are you guys doing to build relationships with your suppliers and to build your business in the same time? Like, how are you guys nurturing that? Grab breakfast, grab a coffee, or a coffee, stay connected, chat. Chat, send them a message. Yep. Let them know about current project, yep. finished project, things like that. Yeah. They Buying more and more material from them. <laughs> they love it. It all goes back to building relationships and, and marketing and stuff like that, because that's what you guys are still doing. Every time you guys build a deck, you guys are marketing yourselves, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's what it is, right? I'm a tough one in that... Uh, I drive them crazy. Why? I don't like the nine to five. I don't. Be, I'm not a big believer in it. Oh, so when you're trying to reach and communicate with them, there's only call them hours. ten o'clock. I need a delivery tomorrow nine a.m. And the number you reached is not in service. Is that <laughs> oh, what you're it's our, you want me to text him now? <laughs> I can call him now. No, he'll get upset at me. That's why I don't want to yeah. know. Uh, you guys ever build decks combining materials? You guys ever get a client that wants to go composite or PVC and wood or do just to save on cost? I think like some people want to do the skirt that facing two feet away from the fence. Sorry, four feet, two feet is not to code, but <laughs> when it's fencing the fence and they don't want to spend that money on the PVC, so you well, you got privacy walls or sometimes that you can't really build them out of composite or man-made materials. You got to build them out of yeah, wood materials, again, right? Glass, We've aluminum. Done that. Yeah, yeah. Where the where the horizontal surface the plant the surface the deck is say pvc and then yeah. a privacy wall might be like rough cut timbers or steel or exactly you haven't come i've only that. mixed i've mixed railing and it turned out great like glass and then wood and steel balusters how are you guys handling safety because i mean it's it's e i know i know but i'm just saying that it's and I, I do respect you guys that it's true that there's an envy factor when it comes to deck building you're outside beautiful sunny day you're enjoying the elements you're hearing birds chirping you know you can just enjoy yourself but we still have to factor in safety right so you're still working on th things and then there's still risks here and there i wouldn't say the mol is going to show up and all of a sudden ask you to tie off somewhere because you're building a deck that's over two feet high right i mean like Technically speaking, yeah. you're supposed yeah. to, like I'm just saying. So uh, how are you guys are communicating with the crews, I guess, to just have that little bit of a safety conversation saying, listen, let's just all be careful. We're handling tools. We're handling material, long lengths of material. We're still handling pretty big power tools. Yeah, uh, I mean, we're, we're big enough that we have to kind of do our basic due diligence on, on safety. So every Monday morning we have a, a tailgate chat or toolbox chat. Nice. So we just have a giant folder of safety talks where we just pull it out and read it. Um, everybody signs off on it. Uh, and then the other day at the shop, we went through, um, you know, tying down equipment on a trailer yeah. and the basics of power tool safety. It took 20 minutes. So just like checking those boxes and making sure that guys have like the common sense bare minimums. Um, that's, I think that's where you start for sure. 
Scott, you're pretty... Cover myself, yeah. You're basically talking to yourself. Yeah, I'm safe. <laughs> I even got rebar caps. Good for you, man. I, the Tim Hortons cup didn't work. No. <laughs> Good for you that you're doing that. I think we covered everything, guys. Is there anything that we may have missed that you guys want to share? Uh, any future deck builders out there that might be listening or someone that's interested in, in learning a little bit more about this particular industry? And I think a lot of trades are envious of you guys because you guys are get to do interesting work outside in the nice months of the year. I guess they're not that envious in the winter months. Always fun to work with your hands. Yeah. I just think the little things make the biggest difference for every, every everything I do. But like, again, because I'm I'm like I've, it's just wood that I'm dealing with. Um, I just make sure I don't know about you guys, but like I plane my joists or I grade them so mm -hmm. that they're they're flat, and I just don't see anyone in my area taking the time to plane their joists. Um, in the back of your head, are you thinking that? I'm not making money as a result of doing this, or that's not a factor at that point. Uh, I love what I do. A little. This is one of the things that I'm just like. It's non-negotiable. Okay. A planer's coming out. It just sucks because it's a mess. And then I get you got to treat. Cut it. and seal. Yeah, and you got yeah that. But uh, I don't know. But it's peace of mind for you. Planer joists when you put the deck on. Yeah, it's like, smooth. And by little things like I sand all my cuts, make sure that the. The grain, are, see, you guys are co you guys are covering uh, with the uh, composite and, and PVC, but um, and waterproof taping. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm like a lot of my stuff's like a lot more exposed, so I have to make sure I really make sure that all my cuts and are, are sealed and stuff. Most people um, in my area that are doing pressure treat, I don't even think they're sealing their cuts. To be honest with you, because I see their finished photos and they're still like white. They're off cuts. Do you shoot your level on every deck uh, framing? If it's small, <laughs> only if it's small, I'll actually, okay. I'll, I got a Stabila, yeah. <laughs> uh, I planed my uh, 1,200 square foot deck, I all got planed. I grabbed my 10 foot track saw and I slid it down the whole thing. Wow. I, yeah, I'm, I'm crazy. I don't, I'm not <laughs> saying that that's necessary on every deck, but that's just something that I do. Is that, but that's going to be something that you're going to teach whoever you bring on board, that that's going to be a part of the process. Yeah. Yep. So that's one thing. You you always have to teach 120%. They're going to absorb 90% of what you teach, and Plus that's where you need to settle right. settle down. Well, if it's nine, 90 from 120, oh, then it would be 70 or 60, so then you're actually getting closer to 100 than further away from 100. Yeah. It's actually a good model. That kind of makes that's sense. Uh, and is that a good point to start? Is that 140%? Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> so, Thank you very much, gentlemen. This has been great. Thank you so much, Doug, for coming back and sharing a lot more, man, about this. Yeah, no I, I was looking forward to this. So, again, Doug Taylor from Frontiers Design Build, www.frontiersdesignbuild.com, info at frontiersdesignbuild.com, and also on Instagram, frontiers underscore design build. I got Adam right here, Royal Innovation. Where's the name come from? I can't tell you. Okay. In the next podcast. <laughs> tell me off mic. Uh, www.royalinnovation.ca, info at royalinnovation.ca, and, and you're booking for 2024. You guys are booking for 2024 now, right? You're not booking for this no, year. No, we got some room this year. You got some room yep. this year? You got some yeah, room we as do. well? You got some room, Scott? Oh, yeah. There yeah. you go. So yeah. we, everyone's got a room. And then also on Instagram, it's just look up royal. We don't know exactly, but it's look up royal. Uh, and then Scott Sauve, Sauve Construction. And it's also www.sauvecreates.com. And his email is scott at sauvecreates.com. Facebook is Sylvie Creates FB, and then on Instagram is Sylvie Creates. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. I always said that these things are all going to be about 
the community. It's not about competition. And that's basically what the construction life is all about. Right. 100%. So I, I love that you guys are and other people and there's other shows that I'm booking as well with other trades. Eventually, the electricians have been pissing me off and saying that they want to get on the show and do it. But uh, I think we'll get every trade and we'll have more than one show and more and more people are going to share. And it's not going to be about competition. It's about community and everyone just sharing great ideas yep. about building better. That's all it is. So I thank great. you all three. Thank you very much. And I thank Roger and, and, and thank him for the, the maple syrup. And I'm going to enjoy that on one or two French shows that I do. <laughs> but uh, yeah, everyone knows that I, I'm a huge fan of, of Techno Metal Post and, you, and everyone and you got to try be. You got to try it one day, Scott. I, I guarantee you won't go back. So it's perfect. So thank you, guys. Angelina, we're out of here.